We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we have people that are willing to realize it now. I'm a victim to the Kelly syndrome. See, and, I'm telling you. And and it, it's it's very true. I think there's a lot of people that have, have kind of bought into that talking down the program. And then because I think part of me understands it. If I convince myself the team is going to be eight and four and they go 10 and two, then I'm going to be happy. I understand that. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. Right. But this is Notre Dame. You should convince yourself they're at least going to be 10 and two. And then be happy when they go twelve and zero. That's how right. it should be, or eleven and one. That's right. how the standard should be. So, Vince, thank you so much for joining the show. Ryan, are you ready to uh, to get up in here and get this thing going? So, this is Ryan Roberts, obviously our recruiting d- director of recruiting at Irish Break. I almost got your your title wrong. I shouldn't do that since I'm the one that made it up. Uh, so, our director of recruiting, Ryan Roberts, is with us here today for our daily mailbag. Ryan, yet an interesting story today on. Cooper Flanagan, I think, was a guy that, uh, you know, when the coaching change happened, there was a little bit of a time where it was looking a little bit nervous because Kelly leaves and then John McNulty leaves and then Bama and LSU come in with offers. And uh, he hadn't been back since the new thing happened, but he got back this weekend, Ryan, and uh, sounds like it went really, really well. Yeah, I mean, not only was he back this weekend, he also has another trip planned to the future a little bit in June. So, Cooper is a player where anytime there is coaching change, right? Like you're going to have to, for a committed player that was already previously committed, they're going to have to reaffirm their commitment. I mean, you're committing to play now for a tight end coach in Jared Parker, who was not the the guy they recruited you. Like you said, McNulty is now out. So now he had to kind of reaffirm everything. And he has done that with flying colors. They immediately, and, and shout out to coach Freeman and the rest of the staff. I know, I know they went to coach Parker very quickly after coach McNulty, McNulty took the Boston college job, but they made Cooper. It made, they made it known to Cooper very quickly. You are a priority in this class. We need you. We want you a part of this class. Very receptive to that. And he told me, you know, just seeing coach Parker coach and just having conversations with him and getting into the film room a little bit. It just reaffirmed everything for him. Notre Dame's the place for him. So 
some easiness at points after the coaching change, obviously, but leaving that conversation with Cooper Flanagan, I don't think any Notre Dame fan should have any worry about whether he is going to be part of this class or not. And the photo shoot was pretty sweet that uh, they had with him. I I love the quote he had in the article with you about how he told himself if they pull out that gold throne, he's not sitting on it. He's, yeah, it was hilarious. Tell because re, re, I, I just I I can just hear I can just hear my seventeen year old self kind of convincing myself I'm above that, and then I see it, I'm like yeah. I'm gonna sit on it. So uh, relay that story because I thought that was that was my favorite part of the whole article. Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously everyone saw the Golden Throne when Dante Moore visited campus, so they pulled the same thing out for Cooper Flanagan. And Cooper, although he's a Cali kid, right, which is kind of like the media at some points, depending on who you are, Cooper is from De La Salle, and he's just kind of a no-nonsense worker type, right? So he was just like – he said before the, the trip went uh, – before he took the trip, he said, if they pull the throne out, I'm not doing it. It's just, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not my style is exactly what he said. Mm-hmm. But then he said once he got there out and he took a seat on, he's like, yeah, all right, this is pretty awesome. I, I, like, I kind of dig this a little bit. So very cool. Even, even the uh, even the players that don't typically like that kind of glitz and glamour got something out of the whole Golden Throne. I think it's a great touch, man. I really yeah. do like that Golden Throne touch on the recruiting trail. Agree. Agree. I think it's, I think it's super impressive. Super, super impressive. And I, I really enjoy that they're doing it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Ryan, we have a we were having a conversation about Ohio State and Michigan or Ohio State and Notre Dame and just the perception and how Notre Dame you were here, you were listening to it, you were down there. And and there was a question that that somebody had that I, again I, I think points to 
how the problem is a perception problem. And, and one of the comments I made was like five years ago, there's only like two or three defensive players that I would have taken from Notre Dame and for Ohio State. It was like Jalen Smith, like maybe Kavari Russell, maybe, yeah. you know, maybe Sheldon Day. And that's about it. Right. Now it's the other completely the other way around. And I said, I'd, pr- I'd probably take Denzel Burke and start him opposite Cam Hart. I'd probably. Uh, I'd probably take one of their interior guys. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. And and I'm not taking any linebackers. I'm not no. taking and somebody and, and this is one of the responses. What about Zach Harrison? Wouldn't you take him? Because you know, five star player. And here's here's the response. No, I wouldn't. Now you could say, well, without Washington coaching him, maybe he'll be better. And that may be true, but we're going off of what they are now. And here's my point. Riley Mills last year in 270 total snaps, 152 pass rush snaps, according to Pro Football Focus, had 19 quarterback pressures. He had three sacks on the season, 270 total snaps, 152 pass rush snaps, right? Three sacks, 19 pressures in twice as many total 558 total snaps, 299 pass rush snaps. Zach Harrison last year had 28 tackles or 28 pressures, three sacks. So why would I want to take that guy? And here's the thing. Riley Mills played defensive end for one game. And, and he's sacks. younger and he's younger he two sacks in that game. So why, why would I take him other than, well, he was a five-star and a, a great talent. And I don't dispute that, but it, again, I boil it down to we're going, the, the, the hype about Ohio state is built on it's filled with a bunch of highly ranked guys, but it's been a terrible defense for four of the last five years. And, and so Notre Dame is significant has not only been better than Ohio State on defense in the last four years, they've been in three of the four years, they've been significantly better than Ohio State on defense. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, Ryan. I think there's this giant perception that Ohio State's got these great players and they may be talented. They may be highly ranked guys with better coaching. Maybe they will be better. But from what we've seen right now, what we know, how many guys at Ohio State from that team would you take and, and say, yo, I got to play play it on defense offense is a different conversation for sure for sure (laughs) yeah conversation I mean I I would I would at least take one of the interior defensive linemen like you mentioned for at least Mm -hmm. depth right like Notre Dame has some depth issue right now that's why they just took the the grad transfer from from Harvard Chris Smith so I would definitely consider that one Denzel Burke's definitely one that I would like to kind of compete opposite of Cam Hart to see if he could take a starting spot only other player, honestly, Brian, I would consider is Ronnie Hickman, the safety for them, just because I think opposite of Brandon Joseph, I, I think that he I think he's a really good player. So I think that he could compete with Ramon Henderson and those guys. And I think he might be the set, best, second best safety on the team after Brandon Joseph. Perhaps, obviously. perhaps yeah. the reason I would probably say no is I still think the other guys have a higher ceiling. But the thing about Ronnie Hickman is, you know what you'd be getting from him. That's the thing I would say, you know what you're going to get from him. And he was put in a lot of bad situations last year because sure. of the way the defense was run. I could maybe go with you on that one. I could may I would be willing to have that cover. So that's what three. Yeah. Well, right? I, I mean, this just reiterates why I like your your scouting process for high school players so much is because you have the current grade and you have the upside grade, right? Like mm-hmm. a lot of those players on the defense that I haven't mentioned have high upside, but they just haven't been developed that well right. over the last couple of years. I mean, Zach Harrison in a vacuum is on par with Isaiah Foskey from a talent perspective, but he has not been Isaiah Foskey. I mean, Steel Chambers is a very athletic player, but he's played just a handful of games at the linebacker position. And, I mean, we have to see how he develops. 
Denzel Burke, like you said, even Seven Banks, who's no longer on the team, he was a guy that was extremely talented, but he just wasn't developed. So there's a development that needs to happen in recruiting. It's not just about getting talent. You also have to have coaches that are able to get the best out of them. And honestly, they just haven't done that that well at Ohio State on the defensive side of the football anyway. Sorry, I just saw that Jabron Payne, the running back, 2022 running back from uh, Ohio, announced that he is going to be making his commitment known on April 15th at 3 o'clock Eastern. That is a Friday, correct? I'm trying to look at my calendar. 13, 14, 15. Yeah, that'd be Friday at 3 o'clock. So um, we won't talk a whole lot about Jabron Payne other than the fact that we'll have a – I don't know if he's – from talking to him the other day, it doesn't sound like he's got anything planned video wise. He's just going to put some up on social media. So what we'll do is, is we'll have a show uh, after he makes his decision. We'll have a show breaking down that decision wherever he chooses and talk about what it means for Notre Dame. So uh, we will, we will definitely have that. And I, Ryan now knows the first thing he's going to be working on once the show is over is getting, <laughs> getting a story ready to preview that. So, yep. So I think Ryan, that's kind of where I come from. Is is the whole point of is is t- it's time to raise the expectations. If you believe that Marcus Freeman is that guy, if you believe the staff he put together was a good staff, if you believe that you know these things are true, then it's time to start expecting those things and not convincing ourselves that you know what nine and three is okay, and then that way you're happy if they go 10 and two or 11 and one. It's time to say, no, it's time to hold this team to the standard of what is the best you, this team can be. And even with the schedule, I'm sorry, this is not a team that should be nine and three. There's just, there's too much talent. And the interesting part was the offense, you know, last year was the second best scoring offense. Notre Dame has had since Brady Quinn was the starting quarterback at Notre Dame. And, and yet with all the problems that they had, and I don't expect those problems to still exist this year, Ryan. I just think a lot of those things are going to be gone. I re- I really do. And I don't think losing Kevin Austin is like this this move that, oh, my gosh, Notre Dame can't be able to throw the ball this year because they lost Kevin Austin and because they don't have Jack Cohn. I just, you know, I think it's going to look different, and we'll have some conversations this offseason about what the offense is going to look like. A Jack Cohn run offense is not going to look like a Tyler Buckner run offense in many ways. Doesn't mean it's going to be better. Doesn't mean it's going to be worse. We'll talk about those things. But I just think overall, I expect this to be a more talented top to bottom football team because the skill last year was really good, but the line was bad. This year, they should be really good in both areas. And that's when I say talent. It's not just looking at the skill players. You got to look at all of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it it comes down to development, right? I mean, we can talk about all this upside that we want with some of this recruiting side of things, but if you don't have the coaches in place to tap into that potential, that's why... You know, we talked about a lot about Charles Jagasaw on yesterday's show. This is why I'm so intrigued by the upside piece of Charles Jagasaw is because I trust a guy like Harry Heastan to get the most out of him. So, and I think that Notre, the the excuse that a talent there's a talent deficiency from Notre Dame comparative to some of the other uh, elite teams in college football that thing's just becoming far and far just more of a lie. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's not it's not something that's real anymore. It's not like you just said. Comparing Ohio State to Notre Dame, there's two to three guys on the defense that you would take maybe to come over and play for Notre Dame right now. So I think that speaks volumes to it. And obviously there's a couple other programs like Alabama and Georgia that are on a higher tier right now than in Ohio State. But still, Ohio State has been a consistently good football team, Mm -hmm. playoff contending team over the last several years. So it's it's an interesting kind of comparison, especially because the – I mean, it's again, it's a – 
it's it's the location of the two schools too, right? Because mm-hmm. we want to see Notre Dame in order to take a big step, they have to be the the place in the Midwest, right? Like yes. they have to be the 100%. spots. So yes, Ohio State is obviously the easy one that you look to and say that team has had some very nice moments in the Midwest. You have to kind of overtake them as the unquestioned number one team. In the, you can't in the be the best team in the nation if you're not the best team in the region. I mean, it's simple as that. I mean, now, and this doesn't mean necessarily climbing them this season. The the point is to to get to Bama and Georgia, you have to first get past Ohio State. Right. And and I'm I'm more talking like obviously this year it's even more practical because they play. But even if they didn't play this year, it's not just like you got to be ranked higher than them, but it's it's also it's it's about recruiting, it's about all those type of things. And that's that's kind of where we're coming from on that is you got to get past Ohio State first. And and obviously on the field's part of it, it's a recruiting's part of it, but it's about expectations. I mean, the coach last year, Ryan Day last year, they went eleven and two. They lost to a playoff team and they lost to a Utah team that was a good team, right? Utah was a really good team. They just shouldn't have hung 45 up on them. That's my whole point. Utah's a good football team. They blasted Oregon twice, who blasted, who beat Ohio State. The point is they shouldn't have hung 45 on them. That was every bit as bad, if not worse, than Notre Dame giving up 37 to Oklahoma State, in my opinion. And that's the point I'm making. Now, Ohio State's going to be a great team because their offense is going to be exceptional, in my opinion, this year. Uh, one of the best quarterbacks in the country, one of the best running backs in the country. And yes, I know they lost some players, but their receiving core is still going to be really good. And as, as disappointing as their line has been, it, they haven't been a bad offensive line at all. I mean, they, they they are not Clemson. They're just not as good as they should have been, in my view. And so that's what we're talking about. It's more of looking at the defense versus the defense is is really what it comes down to. And then it ties into why should we expect, why should we, why shouldn't we expect Notre Dame to move the ball and score on Ohio State? What from Ohio State have we seen that would make you think that this is a team that should go out there and just beat Notre Dame the way that they did a few years ago? I just I don't think they're that team anymore, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, since you did the uh, how many players would you take from the Ohio State defense? Should we do the offensive side of the football, Brad, or do we not want to go there? No, we can go there. I mean, look, because that's a little bit of a different conversation, right? Sure. Like right yep. now, mm-hmm. I'm taking their quarterback. I personally think Tyler Buckner maybe have a, a big a, a more impactful player down the road because I always like guys that can run. I think they add an element and CJ Stroud is allergic to running. I would take their here's the, here's the interesting one, right? I would take their starting running back. I would take Notre Dame's backfield. That's I fair. would take Notre Dame's running back. If I if it was I can only have Trayvon Henderson, I'm taking him a heartbeat. If it was you got to trade the entire backfield, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. Thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I mean, I don't disagree because I know, I mean, you have Trayvon Henderson, then you have Majan right, Williams, yeah, right? Like and Mayan, Majan, I'm not Mayan, sure. Mayan Williams. Yeah, I mean, he's a tough, good second back, but I mean, when you take it to account that Notre Dame's back. Yeah, Mark Crowley, back, Evan Pryor, I'm not taking right. those guys over Notre Dame's guys. Right. Well, I was going to say Jadarian Price right now looks like he might be the fourth string running back. So, I mean, that kind of yeah. just puts it in the context. Yeah. And, and I love their, I mean, I love Dallin Hayden. Love Dallin Hayden. I think Jadarian sure. Price passed him as a senior, but Jared, Dallin Hayden's a really good player. And we, I think someone, a reasonable person can make an argument that I'd still rather have Ohio State's backfield. And and I wouldn't argue with them. I mean, I, I, just my preference, and maybe that's the nerdy. But the point is, it's not an absurd take. Where a couple of years ago, it had been a stupid take. Like, you're an idiot. Like, you're a total homer by by saying that. Mm-hmm. Receiving core, it's not, it's not close right now. With all due respect, Lorenzo Styles, I mean, they've got three of him. 
like that kind of player, right? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I'm I'm taking Jackson Smith and Jigba. I'm sorry, and I'm putting him into the boundary and letting him go do his thing, right? Um, some of those other guys, you know, I'm taking one of the. I would say if I could start an ideal starting three of the two teams, I'd probably have one Notre Dame guy in there. I'd probably have Lorenzo in the slot. Mm-hmm. But that's Marvin it. Marvin Harrison Jr. on the outside. Over yeah, there. he'd be my boundary probably. I'd have Jackson outside at X. That'd probably be my starting lineup. Or I'd have yeah. a Mecca maybe, and you'd make an argument for him too. But yeah, yeah, just Lorenzo's the only guy right now that's there for me. Now, if do I think Tobias Merriweather in, in a year is going to have a chance to be in that conversation? You better believe it. But he's he, he's not on campus yet, and he's he's just a freshman. Tight end, not close. It's Notre Dame. Not close. I don't Offense. even know who's. I mean, who did they have? I mean, G Scott is their tight end now. I right. guess. Right. Like, they moved him. Yeah. 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 They're they're pretty good there. Offensive line. Here's the interesting one. Would you take either one of their tackles? No. No. Okay. No. No. Now here's what I would do. I now, wouldn't mind. Oh, sorry. I, I was just going to say okay. maybe maybe getting Dewan Jones and then moving Blake Fisher inside, but like that would be my only. I'd rather move Dewan point. Jones inside. I think Blake just, moves just better six. in space. Yeah, but he's just six That's eight leverage. Yeah. That's why I don't want him. Now Fair. I do. I'm not gonna lie. I do kind of think about what would he be like being coached for Harry Heastan. Hmm. But he's not being coached by Harry Heastan at Ohio State, and that's the point. I would take Jarrett Patterson over over Luke Whipler. Now, here's what I would do. I wouldn't mind keeping Paris Johnson at guard. Now they're going to kick him out to tackle at Ohio State, and I would not take him over Joe Walt or Blake Fisher. But if I could keep him where he played last year, which is a guard, I would be more. I'd be more prone to to that. I would like to have Paris Johnson as a guard at Notre Dame. I'm not gonna lie to you. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I think in, if I was making an interior off of the two rosters, honestly, I would probably take Patterson. I know I'm getting like super out of the box creative with this one, but I might put Patterson at guard, take Whipler, put him at center, and then put Paris Johnson at the other guard. Like that might be my conversation mm. piece. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be open to that. Whipler's a good player. That. Obviously, he he's not Jared Patterson, but he's a yeah, good player. He is a good player. And and I think he would – I actually think he would fit better at Notre Dame than he is at Ohio State because they like the bigger movers, and he's more of an athletic, you know, get to the second level kind of guy. So I think he'd even be better at Notre Dame. Uh, yep. He fits better at Notre Dame than I think he would fit uh, in, in what they do at Ohio State. So, again, Ohio State, a lot more – a lot more guys like that um, – that I would take on offense, but, but again, okay. So we just, we said, okay, so you take three Notre Dame offensive linemen, right? You At take least. Michael yeah. Mayer mm-hmm. and you take Lorenzo styles. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you combine those two teams, you're taking five offensive players from Notre Dame and you're taking six guys from Ohio state, right? Defensively, it's a different conversation Two for sure from Ohio state. We would take third. We'd have a debate on, but sure. that's it. Right. And so, again, the talent gap is not what people mean. There's one spot where there's a huge gap right now. Right now, there's one spot where there's a huge gap. And that's quarterback because CJ Stroud has proven it and Tyler Buckner hasn't. But here's the point I wanted to make, Ryan. Do you name me the best pass that you saw? This is a trick question, and I know you know the answer to it. What was the best pass CJ Stroud threw as a true freshman at Ohio State? Oh, he didn't throw a pass during his freshman year at Ohio State. <laughs> True freshman year, anyway. Yeah, yeah. I thought you were asking about this past year. I was like, yeah. oh, he threw a pretty awesome fade route against Utah in the right corner of the end zone. He but, had yeah. several really good throws this year. The <laughs> point being, he had zero. He came this. This was a sophomore year, right? 
Ohio State did not say, well, CJ, you're a redshirt, you're a redshirt freshman. You know, you didn't play a ton as a freshman. Kid came into this year with zero career pass attempts and was a Heisman finalist, right? And that's the whole point is stop lowering the bar. Now, is it going to look different for Tyler Buckner? Yes, it's going to look different. But should we expect Tyler Buckner to still be an impact player? Yes. I don't I don't know why. It's like it's like some Notre Dame fans have convinced themselves that Tyler Buckner is going to be Brandon Wimbush from 2017. Number one, that's I mean that was the most expl- the best offensive stretch of football we've seen since Brady Quinn was a quarterback. Like the best, like just week after week after week stretch we saw was 2017 from the second half of BC to Wake Forest, with the only blip being the North Carolina game because Wimbush didn't play. But even then, they still scored 30-some points in the rain, right? That was – I mean, you scored 49 on an 11-win USC team. You went on the road and scored 38. And it's 31 offensively because they had a defensive touchdown in that game. But you have you had 31 points and moved the ball, ran for 180 yards on the number two rush defense in the country, Michigan State. You know, you, you, you hung five over 500 rushing yards on Boston College, who had I who had multiple NFL players on that defense. Right. I mean, you you had over 700 yards of offense against Wake Forest. I mean, it's just week after week. You ran for over 300 yards against an NC State def- front seven that current that had five of its front seven players get drafted because you have Jermaine Pratt, who started in the freaking Super Bowl this past year. Then you had four started. You had four defensive linemen that all got picked in the fourth round or higher, including a defensive end. That went number what five overall to the Broncos and Bradley, Bradley Chubb. Chubb. Yeah. And Notre Dame ran for over 300 yards on that team. Right. So, I mean, if they're going to repeat that offense, cool. But I'm sorry, Tyler Buckner is not Brandon Wimbush. He's a different, he's going to be a better thrower. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to take this receiving core over that receiving core. I just will. You know, I'll take this tight end over that tight end. And, and it, and I don't think this running back group takes a backseat to that running back group either, in my opinion. So, I just don't know why people have con- have convinced themselves, Ryan, why Tyler Buckner just can't throw the football. I mean, because they haven't seen it. That's why. right. I mean, but even yeah. if he's just the guy he was last year, that's still better than what Brandon Wimbush was in 2017. It's fair. I mean, Brandon completed 49 percent of his passes. Tyler last year completed 60 percent of his passes as a true freshman. That was Brandon Wimbush's third year in college. So I guess that's kind of where I come from of I just don't quite understand why the bar and I really believe it's the it's the it's the BK syndrome. It's the it's just don't get too excited because you don't want to get let down again. Well, I mean it, it happens. I mean, as a fa- from the fan goggle perspective for a second, I don't know how many times during the Baron Kelly era I tried to talk to my dad and convince myself, like, oh, I think this year's different. Mm-hmm. I think this is different. Like, I mm-hmm. mean, it happens. Just two years ago, right when they mm-hmm. when they after they beat Clemson, I was like, "Oh, I think this one's different, man. This just feels a little bit different." And then you get let down. And I, I don't blame fans for feeling that way because I have I have felt that way. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I have literally felt that way. And again, I am thirty years old, so I didn't I wasn't around the last time they won a championship. So like I've right. never felt it. So all I know is is I don't want to say disappointment because Notre Dame has had moments of being a good football team. Like it hasn't all been bad, but I mean. I've been I have been during the Notre Dame era where 
you're just kind of living off of memories, right? Like the memories mm-hmm. haven't been made as much. Like you just remember what a game here and there. Like you don't remember a full season of context for the most part because there's some disappointment at some point. So right. I don't I don't blame fans for feeling that way, man. It's right. tough to get out of that out of that void, to be honest. But right. hopefully you come out soon. It's it's time to get out of it. I mean, that's my thing. Is it's time it's time to raise the bar and and enjoy the ride. You know, and and old Grim with a super chat. Thank you, old Grim. Good to see you in the chat today. It all falls to quarterback play. And this was from an earlier conversation, but yes, I mean that at the end of the day, though, if Notre Dame's gonna be the offense it needs to be, Tyler Buckner does need to be a, a, a version of himself. I don't expect this to be the best version of Tyler Buckner. He's gonna be a redshirt freshman or, or excuse me, a, a sophomore, but he should still be a, a, a good player. And by midseason really be hitting his stride. But I, I don't think we should just, well, expect them not to be great early. Tyler Buckner's played in some high leverage situations. Tyler Buckner's had failures in high leverage situations as well, which I say that with a smile on my face because when you're as good as he was in high school and you're as dominant as he was in high school, the game of football can seem super easy. <laughs> I mean, 81 touchdowns as a junior in high school, right? It's just absurd. You know, it's like when, when I hear people say, oh, Chris Vizina, I'm like, Tyler Buckner rushed for almost as many yards as Chris Vizina passed for as a junior in high school, right? I mean, it's absurd. And he rushed for more touchdowns than Chris Vizina passed for. And he also threw for 4,500 yards and 58 touchdowns. I feel like the Cincinnati struggles, the second half of Virginia Tech, like the first, second quarter was like, that's what Tyler Buckner can be, right? Running all over, beautiful go route to, to Kevin Austin reads it out, hits that backside seam to Avery Davis, and then, then Virginia Tech said, okay, let's mix up our coverages, and he wasn't ready for it. And then we saw the bad version of in the second mm-hmm. half, but that's part of the growing process. Yeah. Right? I mean, they just went to – I mean, they went to a ton of different zone looks in that second half, right? Like, I remember – Squatting was the it? coverage. Yeah. Right. The, like, yeah. That, like that interception he threw into the boundary against Jermaine Waller. Corner just just, just baited him, man. Yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, it was nothing – it was nothing super complex. It's just something different that he hadn't seen, you know? Like, mm. the worst thing – not the worst thing, but one of the worst things that you can do with a guy like a Tyler Buckner, a young quarterback like that, who can also run – is play a ton of man coverage against him. You're making things very easy, very simplistic, and you're putting your back to a really gifted athlete, right? Like, I don't right. want to do that. So mix up the coverage was very – and give Virginia Tech some credit. Very right. smart decision to kind of switch things up. But, I mean, that's just the – that's going to be some of the negatives that you're going to get from time to time because he just hadn't – he hadn't been a kid that hadn't played in two years. Right. Like, it's just it, – right. it's the facts about And it. he wasn't prepared that week to be the guy. He replaced a quarterback that was struggling and it was banged up. I mean, that's – that's the reality of it. And so, because that was the week after the Cincinnati game, correct? If I remember correctly, I think it was a week after the Cincinnati game. And, and yeah, because there's, there's a lot of quarterback, there's a lot of quarterback controversy at that right. point. And Jack Cohn yeah. was still trying to come back from the injury he suffered against Wisconsin. And, and so it was, it, Tyler wasn't prepared. So, another thing that is interesting is I've talked to some people that apparently the defense. It's throwing a lot of – we're going to see a lot more zone from what I understand from the defense this year than we did in the past, uh, which is further evidence that this is going to be – this is – Al Golden's going to be allowed to run this defense because Marcus Freeman's a man guy. He is a man guy. I mean, there's no question about it. I think part of it is that they – I think Al Golden would – I think I think every coach would like to be, a, be able to play man. I think every defensive coach likes to be able to play man. It's just you got to know your personnel and be like, we don't have a lot of Absolutely. man guys. We don't have yeah. man cover guys. I mean, 
I always thought, I mean, it's very simple, man. Like, especially even predicting for like the NFL draft for a second. I remember I talked to a, a secondary coach at a smaller school and I just asked him about a defensive back that he had coming out. I think he's actually in this draft this year. And I asked like, what's the perception for the scouts coming through Brian. And, and he literally said, Oh, he's a man cover corner. He's like, Mm-hmm. Scouts don't come to see zone corners, you know, like every defense to your point, every defensive coordinator wants to be aggressive. Like they would love to just blitz all day in order to blitz a lot. Playing man coverage is the easiest way to kind of figure out those blitz packages. So to your point, yes, every defense coordinator wants to blitz. And we have seen Marcus Freeman, at least on his side of things, like when he was at Cincinnati, he had a couple of lockdown corners. So like he could afford to do that. And he could send a variety of blitzes. I mean, there would be some so- zone drops at points, but like at, for the most part, they're playing cover one or they're playing two man, and they are just blitzing all over the place. Get that extra defender in the box. So I, I really love the the kind of fundamentals to it. I look forward to seeing the new wrinkles though with Coach Golden because he has been at places where maybe the maybe the defensive talent wasn't to the degree that he could have be afforded to do that. I mean, when he was at Temple, they used to mix things up all the time because they right. just didn't have the dudes outside. And, and honestly, if they don't improve the quarterback spot on the opposite of Cam Hart, you have to wonder if he'll be super comfortable all the time to play a ton of man. So I'm interested to see that layer of Coach Golden, to see how aggressive he is, what his coverage look like. That's the layer that I don't really know yet, and I'm looking forward to finding out. I think, too, that what that is doing is that is helping the offense. It's helping Tyler Buckner. Because we've heard, like, the defense, the one thing the defense has been able to do this spring is force turnovers. They're giving up big plays and all that, but they force turnovers. And it goes back to what we were originally talking about, Ryan, with the Virginia Tech thing is, you know, you're facing a lot of man in, in practice, and Virginia Tech was playing more man early because that was the key to beating Notre Dame with Jack Cohn, right, is you press the corners, you throw off the timing, like Wisconsin, Cincinnati, and Purdue had already like laid the groundwork for that, right? Like this is how you slow down Notre Dame. Press the corners, you know, don't let them don't let them beat you, that kind of thing. And then Buckner comes out and smokes you on his first play, just beat you over the top with a go route, and you're like, yeah, we're not gonna do that anymore, right? <laughs> and 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 you know, he had a really good first half, picked them apart, do a touchdown pass, hit the back seam, and then they came a second half, so we're, we're gonna mix up, we're gonna show off coverage, squat down. Those are things you do to a young cornerback. Well, he's seeing that this whole spring from the Notre Dame defense. And I think that's going to be a benefit to him as definitely as well. Toe jam with a super chat. Thank you. Toe jam. Sorry. If you discussed already, seems like the offense had been hesitant and going uh, to the jugular from time to time over the last few years. If you think that is true, was it due to Re- BK or Reese? Look, that was a BK thing because I say, if you want to evaluate things about Tommy Reese, then you evaluate things that are different from the way they were before. And to me, this has been a Brian Kelly problem for years. I was, it's funny, Ryan, I was the other night, I was watching them, talking about Al Golden, I was watching the Sun Bowl from 2010. And obviously, you you know, it's kind of interesting, you know, this was Brian Kelly's first year, Tommy Reese was a freshman quarterback on the team. So it's just kind of funny how things come full circle. They interviewed Al Golden during the game because he'd been named the head coach. It's just they, the interim, Jeff Southland, Stoutland was the head coach for the game. You know, they'd fired Randy Shannon and all that stuff. It was just kind of funny, but Notre Dame was up 27 nothing at halftime and won 33 to 17. Like that was just like that was just BK coast at its finest. I mean, it was like you're up 27 nothing. You come out and, and really it could have been worse because they jumped on them quick. They didn't score a ton in the second as much in the second quarter. And that was just the way it always was. Like in the and the problem is it's not about running it up, it's a mentality. 
it's a mentality of when you're on the football field, you're giving it everything you got for 60 minutes. And if you want to not score 100 points on a team, then put your second stringers in the game early and let them pl- run the offense. But it's a mentality of, okay, we did well. Let's let's not blow it. Let's not lose the game. And I think yeah. that was a mentality that Brian Kelly had. And you can't turn that switch on and off, Ryan. That's just who you are, and that's who this team was. And and um, so, yes, that's a BK thing. Now, will Marcus Freeman fix that? I don't know. That's always my biggest concern with defensive coaches, always. And, look, Nick Saban made a career early on at Alabama of winning 17 to 14 games. I mean, some of the biggest games they had were low-scoring games. I mean, I, I still remember the Tennessee game where Terrence Cody blocked, like, three kicks in, like, a seventh – I think it was, wasn't Lane Kiffin was the head coach, I think, on that team. You know, and and just, just that's my that's my probably my only question about Marcus Freeman. Is he gonna let this team will he let the offense be dynamic and explosive? That's the question they have. And, and that's not a Marcus Freeman thing, Ryan. I would ask that question of, of every single defensive coach to football team. That's always yeah. the thing that holds defensive coaches from biggest problem Vic Fangio had in Denver. He wanted to try to win every game 17 to 14. And you can't do that anymore, man. You can't do it. No, no. Times have changed, to say the least. I mean, I, I, I can't tell you how many games I've watched at Notre Dame where even when they would put backups in at times, like a backup quarterback, the, the offense just changed so much, you know? It was just run, run, run. Boring. But I'm just like, can you just run your offense? Like, I'm not asking you to take deep shots and be disrespectful in that regard, but why are you changing who you are in those types of moments? So that's... Yeah, that's the frustrating part. I hope that I mean, I feel good about it as much as I can feel good about it. Like you said, until we see it, you don't really right. actually know. But it seems like for the most part, and you can disagree if you want, but like I, I feel like in my perspective, in, in my vantage point, Marcus Freeman's just I mean, he obviously he's the CEO, right? Like he's mm-hmm. it's his name on everything. But I feel like he's kind of saying, like, Tommy Reese, this is your show, right? Like, I'm not going to put shackles on you. I'm not going to force you to do something that you don't want to do. I'm going to let you be your head coach of the offense. And obviously you answer to me and I will, you know, I kind of take the, I kind of take the, I don't want to say the blame, but like it is my product, obviously. So I'm going to have my input to it, but I'm not going to step on toes. So I feel like it's a good sign moving forward. But like you said, you don't really know until it's actually tangible and it's an understandable Mm -hmm. thing. Some of the stuff going on in the chat right now is just hilarious. Like, there's a Notre Dame fan literally like almost wishing that Notre Dame could will lose so that he can come back and rub it in people's face that he doesn't think I, they're going to be good this year. Like, I, I I read the very <laughs> pessimistic thing. I saw it. Yeah. Okay. Whatever works. John A. One. What's Josh Burnham's ceiling as an edge player? How difficult is getting raw recruits ready for D-line play? So if you're on the message board, you know what John's referring to. If you're not on the message board, then you missed the update we had. What was it, Friday? Did it go up Friday night or was it Saturday? Whatever the ninth was. Sounds like, yeah, somewhere around there. Saturday. uh, That Josh Burnham was actually has been moved to Viper because he has already over 230 pounds. And the feeling is, is that by the time, the way that he has kind of grown since he got to Notre Dame that he's going to be 250 by the time the fall comes he's basically just going to he's going to outgrow linebacker a lot faster than they thought and they love his athleticism and his size but there's a need there and the reality is is he's just gotten too big I mean and it's good weight like if you look at him Sean or uh, Ryan he still looks thin right that's the scary thing like we've seen you know you've seen him up close personal he doesn't necessarily look like he's over 230 pounds which when you're when you're a coach, you have to say if he's already 
230 plus now, and he looks like that, and he's mm-hmm. gained this much since he got because I think he was like 215 when he arrived. He's gained 20 pounds. He's still super twitchy, and he still looks skinny. He's going to be 260 in no time. I think that's the decision that they made. Is is that so? I'll allow, I'll set the premise, Ryan. I'll allow you to to give the first answer in regards to specifically. You know what is his ceiling as an edge player? I mean, personally, I love the move. I really do. When I saw it, I was like, "Wow, that's intriguing." Because I mean, it's always in the back of your mind a little bit because you're like, "This kid's six four with vines, right?" He's like, so this, long. Yeah. He's long everywhere. And you saw, I saw him up in close and personal. I'm like, "That kid looks like Myjay Sanders," you know, like just from a body type perspective. Like, I think he could be that type of edge and. It's going to give a lot of versatility, I think, down the road, especially because that's a kid where, like, you don't want to see Isaiah Foskey dropping in coverage a ton, right? But mm-hmm. I'd be he okay can. with seeing Josh Burnham yeah. dropping the coverage a ton. Like, you can do so many different things for him. And if you get longer and more athletic around him on the interior defensive line, then we can talk about slanting a ton to, to the you know to the weak side. We can talk about giving some different looks up front, blitzing from different spots. And I think Burnham gives you that type of production, right? Like, I think that he gives you that type of projection, I should say. So I'm excited about it because I think that he's a multifaceted edge. He's different. You know, he's yeah. not just a pass rusher. And who knows what type of pass rusher he's going to be. I mean, he's long. He's explosive. So you feel like with a good defensive line coach, that can certainly be developed. Right. But at least I know is that he's going to be a very versatile edge. And right. else. Here's the other thing. I do believe that Marcus Freeman has always wanted, and Al Golden as an NFL coach will definitely want, you want to have the ability to play two Vipers at once. Especially when you look at the way college football is going. There's going to be times when – like, let's just say next in 2023, Isaiah Foskey's off to the NFL. Let's say Keon Keeley starting as a true freshman, which I wouldn't dismiss as a possibility at all. Let's say Keon's playing and you've still got Riley Mills as your as your three as your big end, right? Riley Mills is like 290. He's a defensive end. There's going to be teams on your schedule, USC, others, where you're going to want to in your base defense have Keon and a guy like Josh Burnham on the field together with Riley Mills and Tyson Ford inside. You're just going to want to do that. And you need to be able to do that. You need to be able on on third down or when a team goes tempo where if Oklahoma State is going to come out in a bowl game and say, we're just going to go tempo and spread the field, say, fine, we're cool. Hey, give me my speed package out there. It's Keon and Burnham on the outside. It's Ford and Riley. And it could sub Ford for, you know, Onye. I mean, you get the point that I'm making, right? where you want to get those kind of guys. And then you've got a guy where in the reason that there's a benefit to that is if you have two Vipers like that, and we think Keon's going to end up being a bigger guy too, you can still go three down and not have to have Keon Keeley dropping into coverage. You can still rush him. And now you've got Burnham that you can move around and do some of the stuff you did with Isaiah Foskey last year while allowing Keon Keeley to do what he does best, which is see that guy with the football, you know, that single digit number or the number under 20, go get him. Well, you can even run some three-three looks, man, and have the have the Viper stacked, and you can just bring pressure from all different spots because yep. that's the that's the tough part against the three-three stack is that like those linebackers are hidden, right? So like you're just kind of like, where's the pressure coming from? Where's where are they slanting? Because everybody is lined up in a head up 
um, alignment. So you're kind of just like, okay, offensive alignment communication is so big in that instance. One guy could be slaying one way, a linebacker could be blitzing A or B gap. Like there's just so many different possibilities. So, I mean, I know Notre Dame is just in theory, at least under Coach Freeman, they want to be versatile, right? Like they want to show three down. They want to show four down. They want to come from different spots. A move like that, I, I, I'm excited for the future mm-hmm. just to see how they use him. Because, I again, like stacked on the line of scrimmage, blitzing A, B, as a traditional ed- edge rusher. Like, I just think there's a lot of things that you could do with the Joshua Burnham. So I'm excited about the move. I, I think I like – and we've talked about how they continue to c- recruit linebacker, right? How can you get them all in the field? That's one way to get them well, on the field. And the thing is, this potentially opens up a spot for another linebacker in this class. Because we we're like, okay, we assigned four linebackers last year. You're trying to sign four more this year because for a while there, Ryan, it's, and it's starting to make sense. Like things are starting to make sense now, right? For a while there, they were, we were hearing it's only three linebackers. You can only go three. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, we think we can take Impemba and Osbury. And then you start thinking, well, maybe, maybe because they may be viewing Pemba as an end down the road. Well, now it makes sense. Impemba stay may still be an edge player, but now you've got a, you've got a Burnham and an Impemba in back to back years, guys that can be ends. And I would say the thing about Impemba is he's already bigger than Josh Burnham was at the same age. He yep. may be able to be the big end. I mean, who who knows if you're able to get him? But it started to make a lot more sense now that they kind of saw this one coming just because yeah. – and from what I'm told, this was not a move because he wasn't – like he was like all the freshman linebackers are struggling, to, except for Junior Chualamaka, are struggling to pick up the defense because Al Golden's throwing a lot at him. There was – what I was told, there is no question that Josh Burnham athletically can play this position. It's just – we think he can help us now here because he doesn't have to know the whole defense as a viper. He can just line up and say, you know, here's here's your basic responsibilities. There's just a little le- – I mean, it doesn't mean you can just put anybody out there and say go rush the quarterback. It's not that – we'll say that hyperbolically, but it's never that simple in college football, not against anybody good. Mm-hmm. It's just that now it'd be – you know, it's it's a, it's more simplified. He doesn't have to move around as much. He, you know, line up here, 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 which a Will and a, or a Mike does. They were playing him at Mike as well which is, I mean, that's a lot of responsibility for a guy. Junior's picked it up really well because Junior's wicked smart and he's been playing Mike his whole life. Uh, And he's had a really, really good spring. That was also in the update that we put up on Saturday. So it it, it was not from a negative position is the point that I'm trying to make. He was struggling here, so let's move him. It wasn't that. Yeah, and I think that one thing is worth mentioning is that Joshua Burnham also played quarterback in high school, right? So he was a projection on the defensive side of the football. I know he played defense as well, but he's a guy that has never just played one position. So it's always going to be about maturation with him. And I think that's, I would say it's a little bit of a shout out, Brian. I don't know if you would agree with this, but the fact that junior Tuyalamaka came in and has shown the way he does, I think that's why you're more comfortable with moving Burnham because he's just come in and he's picked it up so quick. If junior was struggling, I don't know if you could feel that way. I mean, I was one of the things we had in our Intel piece. And again, another reason I need to be on the board is we put this up Saturday is there's, 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 there's a possibility that junior ends up beating people out at Mike this year to be the number two Mike. I mean, that's a legitimate possibility the way he's played this spring and you saw him in person. And I, and I believe one of the comments you made to me when we went out to dinner, or what, no, it wasn't dinner because that was the pro day. After we talked after the practice was, I think it was you, maybe it was Sean. It was like, Junior moves a lot better than I thought he was going to move. Yeah. You know, seeing him in person. and he's, But he's still big. That's the thing. It's not like he lost 25 pounds. He's still big. No, he's it's 240. Just, he's yeah, a big kid, He man. moves. He moves. Uh, but it's the mental part that has allowed Junior to really – 
transit because Jalen Sneed's a freaky athlete, but he's not playing like a freaky athlete yet because he's still trying to figure out the defense. Junior's been able to pick it up pretty quickly. Yeah, this is a, a lot. I love questions like this, and I generally mean that. What should the expectations of the blue gold game be? If it doesn't tell us much about the team, when will we see in the fall? What does it tell us? I, there's here's some th- number one, the biggest expectation is nobody get hurt, right? Like that's really my only takeaway I care about is nobody get hurt. I do think there's things you can take away from it. My my pushback against expectation blue gold game is we should not be making big sweeping conclusions based on who plays well or doesn't play well. Like, and it's what I said after the 2015 spring, like the, the spring of 2015 going into the 2015 season, Deshaun Kaiser looked terrible in the spring game. I didn't care. We had seen him do some really good things in practices. Like I didn't care about the, I didn't care that he got outplayed by Montgomery Van Gorder. Cause it's a spring game and we saw what he could do in practice. We know his talent level. Well, he goes out that next year's thrust into the rota- rotation. And I mean, he even thought he was going to stop playing football. He talked about not playing football. He was ready to go play baseball after that spring game. Just, I don't want to see anybody play that poorly, but it just, it doesn't really matter a ton. Uh, I think the big thing for me is I want to, I, I, cause see, they're doing this draft thing. So I don't know like how the draft is going to go. Like, are you drafting the line? Or are you drafting individual linemen? So there's so much we don't know, but if the offensive line is playing together in the blue gold game, I want to, I want to see how they're playing. I want to see, are they driving their feet through contact and, you know, but just it's understanding that you're just 15 practices into what's over a 45 about a, or over a 35 practice format, which when you consider getting ready for a game, it's minimum 35 practices. You're going to have 15 in the spring, minimum, minimum 20. It's closer to like 25 in the fall you're getting close to 40 practices. You're, you're about a third of the way there, right? Right now. And that's the thing, Ryan, is just understanding where they are in the value in the, in the process of building the team. If you understand that correctly, then we can have a great talk about the blue gold. What'd you see? What'd you like? What'd you didn't like? What, what bothers me is when people make Tyler Buckner should be the starting quarterback because of how good he looked against the third team defense in the blue gold game. There's a legitimate conversation we had last year. Let's not do that. Right. If if Drew Pine or if Steve Angeli has the best blue gold game, can we not have that conversation? If if Drew Pine outplays someone or if Tyler Buckner outplays Drew Pine in the blue gold game, that doesn't tell me a thing about who the starting quarterback is going to be next year because the 14 practices leading up to it were far more important to me than a, than a, a fun scrimmage. So I want to see guys moving around, and I want to see guys we haven't seen a whole lot. That's a fun. the best part for me for the blue gold game is I want to see – Aiden Gobira. I want to see Tyson Ford. I want to see Justin Walters. I want to see Philip Riley and Ryan Barnes, guys we haven't seen a chance to play. I don't give a rip what Michael Mayer. I would not play Michael Mayer in the blue goal game. I wouldn't play him. I wouldn't play Foskey. I, w- I mean, I mean there, there's several guys I just flat out am not playing in the blue goal game. I wouldn't play Blake Fisher just because of the knee injury he had. I mean, he's got 14. You know, if I may be playing for a quarter, that's just me. I wouldn't play Chris Tyree. In the blue gold game because of the concussion thing, it's that it just doesn't matter a lot to me. Doesn't mean I don't enjoy it. Doesn't mean it's not a, a chance to see it. So as long as you have the right perspective on it, then there's a lot of things we can learn about it. Like, hey, this guy's in good shape. This guy ran around. This kid's, you know, playing with some confidence. Remember how good look Litchfield Ajavon looked in last year's spring game? You know, like it just it's not, it doesn't spring game success doesn't equal you're gonna be good in the fall. It just it, it doesn't. That's my takeaway, Ryan. 
Yeah, I, I just want to see competitiveness and I want to see speed. I want to see fast mistakes. Like that's one thing, especially in a spring that, I mean, ultimately it matters, but it doesn't actually matter, right? Like you're going to get to the fall, the games, you're going to be like, no one's going to care about what you did in spring anymore. Like that doesn't matter. But I want to see, you have a new coaching staff. There's a lot of positivity and there's a lot of optimism around the program. And we've seen it in person already, the energy that the practices have been run with. I want to see, especially with the draft concept, nothing is going to be where, in theory, where people are completely comfortable playing next to one another. I want to see, obviously, the technique that they've been learning during during the spring. But more than anything, I want to see fast aggressive mistakes because there's going to be a lot of mistakes you're gonna you're gonna be in the wrong gap filling you're going to run the wrong routes you're going to you know make it make a bad uh, take a bad angle to a play but i want to see aggressiveness i want to be fast aggressive mistakes like i want to see that fire kind of get lit a little bit and just kind of pop off the screen a little bit if they leave the game there's no injuries and they competed all game and they showed just some flashes of, of ability then I'm happy. Like I don't mm-hmm. I don't like to overanalyze spring games too much. It's just yeah. not my thing. Agree completely. There's a lot of conversation about this, so we'll just go ahead and answer it now. Charlie Moore, what do you think about Ed O being on campus today? Okay. I mean, <laughs> the, there's been a lot more made of this, I think, than should be. Uh that's just my that's my opinion. It was hopping on Twitter for a little bit, man. Yeah. It was hopping. That's one of the wonderful many things about Twitter. Look, here's something y'all have to understand. A couple things here. Number one, coaches who get fired do this. Coaches who are unemployed do this all the time. Coaches who are employed do this whenever they can. It's just usually can't do it during the spring because, you know, teams are gone. But look, I've seen, I remember seeing Todd Graham at a practice one time with his kid. I mean, it's just, it's what they do. I don't put a lot in it. It doesn't mean a whole lot to me. Uh, Ed Orgeron interviewed Marcus Freeman for the defensive coordinator job a year ago. And Marcus Freeman had to think about he was close to taking the job per Marcus Freeman's and Freeman's words. There's clearly a, a relationship there. And this is just what they do. And look, let's let's not kid ourselves that you can't get something from Ed Orgeron. Like, would I hire Ed Orgeron? Probably not. There's certain things about Ed Orgeron's personality and character that I don't particularly care for much. That's just my stance. But if I'm also a D-line coach, do I want to hear what Ed Orgeron has to say about coaching the defensive line? Yes, I do. Because he's very good at that. Uh, but this is also about Edward Orgeron wanting to be around Notre Dame to see what they're doing. Because that, I mean, Urban Meyer did that a ton in his little layoff between Florida and Ohio State. He he went a, he went all over the place. Uh, Bob Stoops has done this. I mean, the coaches that that are between jobs, so to speak, do this all the time, and it makes sense to do it because the reality is, is Ed Orgeron's not going to get hired as a head coach again in a year, most likely. It's going to be as a D line coach or something like that, and so. You want to get out. You want to see people. I still want to coach, and it's just part of the process, and that's about all it was to me. So it's not like a Ed Orgeron's going to show up tomorrow and be Notre Dame's defensive analyst. That's not why. Now, does that mean it won't happen? I'm not saying that, but I don't think that's why he's here, in yeah. my opinion. Well, I mean, it's it's cool to see Ed O, though. You know, it's I mean, it's right, I think it's sure. neat to see those types of guys show up so, to practice. Like, no, no negative to it. So Vince was at practice today, and he was – recording stuff and he looks over there and it's edo talking to somebody and vince vince goes go tigers <laughs> it was actually really i have to show you the video it's really fun that's awesome uh and then charlie moore also said some pocket chains to say thanks appreciate that charlie very very much let's get back to some more questions here ryan 
Got the expectations. Kenny Moore, Braden Lindsay has got to be way more consistent this year as well. He will be critical. Really like what I am hearing about him so far. I, I agree. He has mm-hmm. to. He has to. And again, I don't think Braden Lindsay has to be a 60 catch guy. I, no. I don't. If Braden Lindsay's given me three to four touches a game, as long as they're the right kind of touches, he can have a big impact. I want to see him doing more stuff that gets him the ball in space than what we saw last year. He was just catching hitches and quick outcuts on, on RPOs. Like he he needs to be he needs to do more stuff like we saw against Stanford. You know, motion him down, run up, have him run a quick skinny post for a touchdown. Like that's the kind of get him on some jets and some. You know, I want to see him run dry. If he doesn't run ten drive routes a game, I'm going to be a little frustrated. Right? I mean, I'm being a little hyperbolic with the number, but you get the point that I'm making, Ryan. Like get him get linebackers chasing him in zone or get corners having to chase him across the field in man. Either one is a win for Notre Dame because that then sets up so much stuff. If he hits a couple of those crossing routes and then turns up the edge, guess what happens the next time that the linebackers see him running that drive route, they're going to come down on him. And then guess what happened? Michael Mayer's running an in cut behind him at 15 yards, right? Like that's the whole point. And I want to see more of that from him, but schematically that's on the coaches, but Braden's got to go out and continue to be a guy that you, that can be dependent on. You can depend on him. He's going to be out there every day. He's going to show up at practice every day. He's going to catch the ball. He's going to do all those kind of things. That's what Braden's he's, that's what he's got to take his game to. Cause you got to be able to try. I mean, for all the skill in the world, got to be able to trust a guy as mm-hmm. a quarterback, as a coach, you got to be able to trust a guy, right? Yeah. No, I mean, Braden Lindsay brings something to the team that they may need, right? Like you need that speed. You don't need it in a high volume like you're talking about here, but just seeing him in one life practice, I will say from a technical perspective, he looks like a different player right now. From a competitive perspective, mm-hmm. he just looks like a different player. He was competing. And although the one big highlight was against Jane Mickey on a little bit of a, a stutter go, I mean, still like they're just attention to detail and the subtleness in the route. Like everything was just looked a lot cleaner and a lot more, a lot more. I don't know, like a wide more. receiver, not just an athlete trying to play wide receiver. Yeah, and it, it looked like everything just had a purpose to it, right? Like, like there's just sometimes where wide receivers are running routes that just don't look very confident. Where you're just like, I don't think he really trusts what he's doing out there. But Brayden Lindsey just looked very confident in his own skin during that practice. So it's only one practice out of the whatever number that we're on now. But I, I think that you need Brayden Lindsey in some type of role this year to be successful. And it's very positive to see that he is clearly taken to the coaching so far and he's completely playing at a higher competitive level than I've ever seen him play. Now, that being said, I need to see it, man, because I've been calling for a Brayden Lindsay breakout for years. Well, especially after 2019 when you started to see it like, okay, yep. I can't wait till next year. And then he's hurt. And then it just hasn't been that case. So yes, it would be really nice to see because it just, it helps everyone else. It takes the pressure off of everybody else. You want to have your safeties driving down hard on Michael Mayer every time he runs an option or an outcut? Fine. I'm running a post route behind it. Good luck. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just what you do. You know what I mean? It's just it's just it gives you options. Okay, you want to you want to drive your safety over top to kick. Okay, fine. I'm going to be banging back. When you're going backside to my W or whatever. I mean, it's just it it makes it a lot more fun when you have options. Okay, they do this, we can do this. They do this, we can do this. It just makes you a better football team. In the video clips, Ethan O'Connor says it looks like Tyler Buckner had a quick release but seems to get a little less velocity behind his passes. First, do you agree? And is that a concern for you? First, I do not agree. Number one, th- some of those throws were during warm-ups. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, not, you're not driving the ball the way you would in warm-ups. It's more about the footwork in the pocket is the focus, the footwork and the timing of it. Number one. Number two, I didn't see less velocity. I actually liked the zip I was seeing on most of those throws from the practice uh, highlights. 
so it, it it can't be a concern because I didn't see that. Now, I don't think Tyler Buckner has a bazooka arm either. Like I've never thought that. He's got a good arm, but he doesn't have a bazooka arm. I think he gets good velocity 15 and under. I've never that's never been something that I was concerned about uh for me, Ryan. And and I just, you know, he's a the only the only fit question I have about him throwing the football from a physical standpoint is I still just don't know how far he can throw it because I've just he gets so he got the ball out so quickly in high school and showed such great anticipation the ball never went more than 45 50 yards the same thing with the throw against Virginia Tech I mean it was a deep shot Kevin also caught it at 42 yards that's not really and, and those throws you can make I'm more referring to can he run the play action post route can he hit Braden Lindsay on the post throw like we saw Ian Book hit it in 2019? That's the that's the only throw I don't know that Braden that, that Tyler Buckner can make because I just have never seen him do it. Yeah, no, and it's fair. I mean, we saw again, we saw him in person, and I will say the zip is there, like mm-hmm. no problem. And I will say that there's a very, he's a very confident thrower, too, which I think to the release quickness might have something to do there, you know, Ethan, to, to your question a little bit, but I don't think there's a real big change in his delivery or his release at all. I just think that he's thrown with more conviction and everything's just kind of tight and very consistent right now. So, and I, I never want to, cause I watched the video obviously, but I never want to overanalyze, especially practice reps where he's just taking a simple three-step drop and just getting right. the ball out quickly against air. Like that's not going to tell me a ton. I want to see it when obviously the live bullets start, but I, I mean, I have seen nothing from Tyler Buckner so far this spring that has me worried. I am excited for what Tyler – I just put on Twitter yesterday. I am very excited to see what Tyler Buckner does this year. I am. M. Kostrup says, is there any way for these guys to practice creative decision-making broken place outside of full scrimmages or seven-on-sevens? Yes. First of all, seven-on-sevens are the worst time to work on that. I hate them. And scrimmages are a good time. But, yes, you'll do drills. You'll You'll have periods where you work on this. Because the receivers need to be taught what happens when the quarterback takes off running. The quarterback has to have an idea of what's the what are the receivers doing when things break down. Now, a, a basic rule, and everybody um, everybody kind of does it a little bit different. But you know, it's a, a basic rule is if you're back, if the quarterback takes off to his right and your backside, you just come level across, mm-hmm. right? If you're short, you break deep. If you're deep, you come short. And that's that actually is kind of what happened on the inter, the great interception that Kyle Hamilton had last year against Florida State. It was a broken play. The quarterback's running. Uh, Justin Adamiola and I think it was Clarence Lewis had kind of covered a receiver, but when the quarterback took off, he spun out and went deep, and the defenders kind of were going to the quarterback, and he came free. If Ty, If Kyle Hamilton doesn't see that and come across, that's a touchdown. And so uh, you practice, but you practice that. You don't just wait for scrimmages when, and you'll, you'll practice in scrimmages, but it really comes down to your, your, you, you rep those. You got to know what you're responsible. There's method to that madness, right? Because, and you've got to work on as a receiver, because it can be real easy for a player like Buckner. Like when, when Jack Cone's moving around, the receivers are like, I got to get open. I got to get open. I got to get open. When Tyler starts running around, your thought is I got to block. I got to block. I got to block. I got to block. And you need to work on making sure that, Hey, you don't give up on Tyler Buckner till Tyler Buckner gives up on you. And I'm not talking about like you, you understand what I'm saying, like on the play, he has clearly tucked it and he's past the line, right? It's almost like if you're up close, don't worry about blocking somebody. Tyler's going to have to take care of that guy. You keep working open because if that guy comes up, Tyler can then flick it over his head, which we saw him do to Chris Tyree last year. So you've got to, you've got to really work. It's easy. It's harder, Ryan, in my opinion, for receivers with a guy like Tyler Buckner 
than it is for a guy like Jack Cohn or Drew Pine when it comes to the breaking down because there's such the threat of the other guy running, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you agree with that or not, but I definitely think that as a, as a receiver's coach. Well, you always see occasionally when an athletic quarterback gets outside the pocket, he ends up throwing it away. You'll see like a wide receiver get called for like, you know, illegal contact downfield because they already started blocking, right? So mm-hmm. it's like an illegal block downfield type of situation. So it is difficult at times because there is there definitely is that balance between he's going to take off, he's extending as a passer. I mean, it definitely is, but I agree with you. They need to make themselves available. Once he breaks the line of scrimmage, then we can get involved in the run game because – you know, an early block for Tyler Buckner, again, it could be a big help, obviously, but the kid is just such an explosive and physical runner. Like, he's going to make the first guy miss more often than not anyway. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but that, that stuff is, especially in team situations and full scrimmage situations, that's where you're really working on that when there's kind of mm-hmm. live bullets, right? Like, right. you can work on that even just out of, like, kind of individual drills, but obviously seeing a rush and seeing players actually coming at you yeah, because, is a lot different. Because an individual, you'll work on the responsibilities. But during those drills, you know that he's what he's doing. <laughs> it's like with anything. It's like when you're working on a hitch drill, you know this is what's going on. But then when you see live bullets, well, what happens if the defense covers it? You know what I mean? So, yes, it always has to be then taken into the team stuff, and that's the big key to the whole thing. So really good stuff, Ryan. Josh Miller says, I counted six players on offense for All-American, either first, second, or third team, if everything goes well, and I count five on defense. What do you guys think? Now – Number one, I don't see any scenario in which Notre Dame has 11 All-American next year. Next year, And I, I don't take the question. I mean, that way I kind of look at it as guys that could be All-Americans next year. I'm trying to think about that, Ryan. Uh, I think that we could uh, – six on offense, I have a hard time getting to. You got Mayer, right? And you've got two offensive linemen for sure You, you that will be in that. I mean, maybe three. If Notre Dame's offensive line is what we think it's going to be, having three All-Americans is not unheard of. We've seen it in the past. I don't know if I see any of the receivers in any of them putting up the production needed to be an All-American, and I don't see it at running back, and I don't see it at quarterback. When you look at the quarterbacks coming back, I mean, with quarterback, first, second, or thirteen, it's only three dudes. You know, as, as even if Tyler Buckner plays as well as he can this year, is he going to put up the numbers that is beyond Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, guys like that? I, I, I have a harder time seeing that. Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams is going to put up stupid numbers this year because the offense he plays in. I mean, whether he's a great player or not, it's it's, it's going to have great numbers. Uh, So it'll be harder. I I have a hard time getting past four on offense, Ryan. What, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, mayor's obviously the easy one. I think both tackles have at least should be in the conversation, um, which is a tough sell even for Blake Fisher, to be honest, just because he's only played a, a couple football games. So like, even if someone's like, wants to push back and say like you can't mention Blake Fisher I'm okay with that mm-hmm. Jared Patterson is obviously the easy one on the offensive line I I mean if he's not the best cut center coming back to college football he's top two or three like mm-hmm. I mean it's a pretty easy conversation there so I would only be okay with about I mean Mayer and him absolutely on the offensive side of the football I'd be okay if you include both tackles so I agree I think four is probably the number. I love Lorenzo Styles, but I, I just don't think that he's going to be the volume getter, like you right. said, in this passing attack to be that guy this year. Like we'll see, obviously, maybe junior year might take a big jump, but I would say four offensively. Defensively, I mean, all right, Foskey obviously is an easy one. I think Jason Adam Alola with a step can be in that conversation for sure. Yep. That's not a stretch at all for me. Yeah. No. Cam Hart could be in that conversation for mm-hmm. me. 
Brandon Joseph could be in that conversation for me. No, you're shaking. No, your head. I'm He's... shaking my head. Yes, but I cannot oh. believe it's taking you this long to get to your boy. Well, I mean, I mean, he's just the assumed player, you know. Right? He's, he's the safe bet. Comeback. Maris being obviously the player that we're talking about. There. Yes, yes. Maris Loifau would be the last one because I mean, if Maris Loifau has the type of season I think he can have, then I mean, sure. it, I th- I think he could be a hundred plus tackle, ten plus tackle for loss type sure. of dude. Like I I do think he could be that player. Well, I mean, and this is this is not this is going to sound like a shot, and it's not at all. Because I, I really like what JD did last year, but if JD can put up the numbers he put up last year, playing on the same side of the field as as Isaiah Foskey, then there's there's no reason to think that Maris can't put up even better numbers, especially since he's he brings the sort of the pass rushing ability to the table. I mean, JD last year had 101 tackles and seven t- seven tackles for loss, and and I think he's a better Mike. And so you look at this defense, Maris is going to be dropping into coverage. He's going to be blitzing. He's going to have those game changing kind of plays that that DJ, JD just wasn't going to have JD wasn't going to drop underneath the seam route and pick it off. You know, I just, he just doesn't have the length. He may cover the guy well and you don't throw the ball, but he, you know, it's just not kind of how it's going to be. So yeah, I could see that. I, I don't think we'll get to five, but I could see five guys being on there. No question about it. I could easily, I could definitely see that. And, you know, and then of course there's always the potential for a breakout somewhere, you know, maybe, maybe a running back does have a monster year. Maybe, you know, because look, here, here's things like, like Josh Adams in 2017 had over 1,400 rushing yards. He wasn't an All-American. It wasn't a first, second, or third. When you get to those positions where it's only like one dude, it's a little tougher. You know, it, it's a little tougher to have that. Because a lot of this, Ryan, is about numbers and reputation. And that's the thing that's going to hurt Notre Dame is who's the running back that comes into the season with the reputation that All-American voters are looking for. Which is kind of stupid that as 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 we have more and more television opportunities that that these All-American lists still are so bad. So many times it's like, wait a minute, wait, who made all American? Like, seriously, that guy and another guy didn't like Michael Mayer, how Michael Mayer did not make an all American squad last year and didn't make a Mackey finalist. This is absurd. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just absolutely absurd. And, you know, I don't know. Some of those awards are weird, man. Some of those yeah. awards are weird. It's not like I was a even looking... signaling. Like the 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 whole the whole thing for uh for the tight end especially was this felt just like virtue. Let's let's throw a little bone to the group of five schools. You know, like could you imagine what kind of numbers t- Michael Mayer would have put up last year if he was playing against the same schedule that Isaiah Likely and the cat and Trey McBride? They're good players. Don't get me wrong. They're not Michael Mayer. And they oh, weren't no. last year either. No. So no. Well, well, Brian. Here, here's a good one. This was most weird award last year in my opinion um who do you know who the jim thorpe award winner was given to the best defensive back in college football? yes kobe bryant kobe he wasn't even the best quarter on his own team cincinnati (laughs) right right so weird i know yeah as soon as you said jim thorpe i was like oh yeah i know he's going with this one that was it made kobe bryant's a nice player but amon was the best corner in college football last year Exactly. Yep. Exactly. I mean, I mean, okay. Yeah. I guess in theory, Kobe Bryant had more plays on the football because you know why that happens. I mean, right. it's very easy. Right. You're not going to throw it to my guard or you're going to throw Kobe right. Bryant. And, and that mean, goes back to my whole point of it's a stats driven honor. And now reputation and or stats driven. And, and some of these are just absurd. I mean, the whole, the whole like Ed Oliver went in the, the award over Quentin Nelson. It's just like, some of the stuff is just like, you know, I mean, just stupid. That's why, like, honestly, Ryan, I can't tell you the last time I watched the Heisman ceremony. It, it, it just matters so little to me. Now, if a Notre Dame guy's up for it, I'll talk about it, and it'll be a big story because it's still 
has some, I mean, it carries weight. If you have a Heisman Trophy winner, that carries weight with kids, especially in, the, in this era of NIL. But I don't care. That That's the thing for me. I don't care about it. And uh, just a lot of these awards are that way. It, it really is. Like, who, who was the, who won the Doak this year? Um, Doak Walker would, uh, Kenneth Walker probably, right? Uh, I'm trying to look at it because it, I remember there was some weird stuff there too. Like there was a guy that, uh, that, so was the, the, the finalists were, I'm sure me find here real quick. Just, I'm going to find who the finalists were. Kenneth Walker won it, but I remember the three finalists were like, wait a minute. What? Like it was, uh, Kenneth Walker, Brees Hall and Tyler Beatty. Maybe it was last year. I'm trying to remember it. There was one, there was the Doak Walker. I thought this year was one of the ones, but that's not it. Cause those three guys make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's the year before I have to look at it, but there was one of these years recently where I was like, wait a minute, the best running back college football is not a finalist for the Doak Walker award. Like what <laughs> the heck is going on here? So yeah, you, some of these are just really, really strange, man. It's just, it just really makes no sense how these go. But yeah, yeah Kenneth I, Walker was a shocker last year because he was good at Wake Forest, but it wasn't like I didn't see last. I didn't see that coming. Dude, it was weird on our podcast. Uh, one of the co-hosts, Alex, he that was actually his sleeper last summer, dude. He called that one. He's like, "Yeah, I really like this kid transferring to Michigan State. I liked this mm-hmm. film a lot at Wake Forest." Then he blew up. I'm like, "Good, good on you, Alex. That was a good yep. call, man. That was a really good call." Can yep. I do a quick shout out to Ladarius Martin, who's in the chat, Brian? Yes, is, is he back? back? Yes, he is. My He's man, in the chat right now, my man. So he's there. There he is. We were just talking about you the other day, man. So we were wondering how you were doing. So uh, glad to see you. Glad to see you to, to back with us today, buddy. So let's get back to some more of these questions here. Uh, Ryan uh, Domer Gris says, "How do you make? Uh, how do you? Okay, how do the twenty? How do the main twenty twenty three receiver recruits compare to Xavier Bradshaw? You said as long as Notre Dame passed on Xavier Bradshaw individually and not just all receivers like him, you'd understand. Do do any recurrent current recruits have his skill? Yes, Rodney Gallagher absolutely does have his yeah. skill set, mm-hmm. no question. And and again, part, a lot of stuff you say about last year's receiving thing, you have to kind of that stuff's in the past because it's a different coach. So. But yeah, I mean, with Rodney Gallagher, and then there's some 2024 kids they're going after, Ryan, like Tassir Denmark, and there's several guys like him that are like the smaller, shiftier, speedier. Emmett Mosley is is in that same category to me. Ryan Ryan Pelham. Yes, yeah. yes. And there's mm-hmm. another like, what's the real fast kid from? Is it from oh, Florida? Zion Reagans. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, like he is. So there's a lot of small, shiftier receivers that you're going after, that you're seeing them go after, and they're still going after the bigger guys too. They're 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 doing what Chancey Stuckey said, which is I want a point guard, a two guard, a couple fours. You know, he he's going after the different type of players, which is a a good thing, absolutely. But yes, as much as I love Xavier Bradshaw, and I still think their name should have taken him. Uh, Rodney Gallagher is an even more dynamic athlete. Now, Rodney Gallagher's not the receiver that Xavier Bradshaw was yet. No, not mm-hmm. even close because he doesn't play it. But just from a, he's bigger than he's a little, he's bigger than Xavion was, a little thicker, and he's a little bit more explosive. But I still would have taken Xavion Bradshaw in a heartbeat. I, that was one of the biggest, biggest mistakes the previous staff made, in my opinion. Rob Didall says Brian and Vince will change that to Brian and Ryan. Uh, by what game on the schedule do you feel you will have a pretty good gauge on how efficient the offense is? It's a good question. It's a good question yeah. because if they come out and shred Ohio State that doesn't tell us that the offense is definitely going to be elite for the rest of the year. Sure. It just means Ohio state's got its own issue. It could, it could just mean Ohio state has its own issues, 
Ryan. So, so you got Ohio State, then Marshall, then Cal, then North Carolina bye week, and then I forget who the fifth team on the schedule is after the bye week. Let me go ahead and look that up real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's like Stanford or BYU. No, it's bye week, North Carolina bye week, then BYU, and then I think they come home and play Stanford. So, uh, for me, Ryan, it would be the BYU game. You're five games in. It's your it's your probably the best defense you will have faced up to that point in time of the year, in my opinion. Would you agree with that? Like up to that yeah. point, I think their defense yeah. is going to be better than than now, Cal plays good defense under Justin Will. Very underrated defense, just not talented. That's the problem with Cal. They just lack talent, but they're really well coached. North Carolina will still will be better on defense, but still not good. Marshall just doesn't have the athletes, and Ohio State's defense shouldn't be that good. I think BYU up to that point in time. So I'd say BYU game is 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 when I will really get a sense of okay this offense is or is not a really good offense that's my take because I just I want to see it done against a couple really good teams and I really feel like that's the time when you're because the thing about that game right that's week six because Notre Dame has a bye and the reason I say that is is you want to really start to see how you are when teams have some film on you it's like Let's not forget what the Notre Dame defense looked like the first four or five games of Brian Mangorder's tenure before people had some film on them. They looked okay, had a shutout against Michigan. But th- that's why I say week six will really tell us, like, okay, this offense is really good. Or, okay, they haven't gotten it going yet. I'm concerned. One one or the other. Thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I mean, it's fair. It's fair. I, I, I honestly, my first impulse was the third or fourth game. So I was actually thinking by the bye week because – I, although I agree, especially with those first few games, you're not you, you're not playing any juggernaut defenses, and BYU is a, is a pretty good defense. I mean, mm-hmm. at least they were last year, so you would assume that that would be one of the testing points of the season. But I think you could start to see it even before they play a team like a BYU if it's heading in the right direction. So mm-hmm. I would say you can start to see the glimpses mm-hmm. a little bit early and start to feel better about gauging how, how much of a difference they've made. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, Notre Dame didn't look great offensively against a couple inferior opponents last year. I mean, from an offensive line perspective. Toledo, so, Purdue, yeah. yeah. But, so yeah. I, I think I think that you can start to see it a little bit earlier, but I agree that I think that BYU is kind of a benchmark to putting it to the a- absolute test. I'll say this, Ryan. I think that you will know – you could know by game two or three if an offense is going to struggle. I think where I'm coming from is – I guess I'm looking at this from an optimistic point of view. I need to see more of the good before I feel good about it being a really efficient, explosive offense. So I think if I'm looking at it from your point of view, I agree with you because we started to see the the chinks in the armor against Toledo. I mean, it was – and then Purdue was like, okay, th- there's a problem here. And uh, – but if they're, if they're not playing well through the North Carolina game, then, yes, that's concerning. That's a really big – I don't need to get to BYU to be concerned about that. For me, it's more about if you're going well, I need more because of just the quality of the opposition. And again, I go back to, I just want to see how you do when teams have more film on you. That's going to be the big gauge for me. How do you do when you have more film? But I'll say this, if Notre Dame gets through that BYU game playing well, you could really start to see the offense take take off because the next three games, Ryan, after the BYU game are Stanford at home, UNLV at home, and at Syracuse. So they could go into that Clemson game on November 5th really rolling because those are some defenses you should be able to get healthy against you know I mean whether you're continuing to build on success or you've been okay but you need to take off 
those are those are defenses that I think you can get right on. Just like we saw this year, like if they would have been able to, you know, play some bad teams early and have success. Because what people what people kind of missed about this Purdue team last year is Purdue was a pretty good defense last year they up were. until the Tennessee game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Ohio State had some success on them, but they, they they were a good solid defense last year. It just but that doesn't mean Notre Dame should have had the issues that they had against them. I mean, you know, so you could see the chinks in the armor. Uh, but if they could have maybe, you know, had some early success and maybe played Georgia Tech and Stanford early and maybe they didn't play as poorly, I think that could have helped with the confidence. But uh, I think that's yeah, it's a, it's a really good question, Rob. R- really good question. Keith Wiegand says, other than Mayer, who is going to be the chain mover? Avery Davis. Yeah. I mean, Avery yeah. Davis has been a money third down player since he got into the receiving core. I mean – He's been really good on third down. Mm-hmm. I, I think Lorenzo Styles could do a little bit of that stuff too. Cause I think, I think he's got that short to intermediate, just quick separator type mm-hmm. of type of mold that he can move the chain to. But I, I agree. Avery Davis was the first name that popped ahead. Cause he's just, he's that slot that just kind of understands air, you know, how to hit zones quarterback and sit down and the quarterback yeah, exactly. in him. He's doing exactly. what he wants a receiver to do. It's like, you're going to say, Hey, I can't run the route for you. Well, Avery Davis can, <laughs> you know what I mean? As a quarterback, you say that I can't run the route for you. Avery's like, okay, I, I can now. So, <laughs> and I, I'm assuming Keith, this is a question for receiving um, obviously prowess, but I, I mean, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a, Tough situation, third one, fourth of one. If we don't see Tyler Buckner in some type of quarterback power mm-hmm. situation, yeah. be that chain mover on the for a running yeah. perspective. I think all the running backs can do it, but there's something about a 215 pound tough quarterback with dual threat ability that like he could be a chain mover with his legs yeah. on third and short. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. David Solomon says, I'm hearing Aaronsberger has passed not on the depth chart, but do either one challenge for playing time? Well, they both played last year, so I would expect them to both play this year. I think it's a question is how much and in what order. Ryan, you know, we've talked about things you said to me when you were at the practice in the yep. middle, you know, earlier in the month. And I remember one of the first things you said to me was about Alexander Aaronsberger is looks the part. I mean, he's an impressive looking athlete. He's he's one of those guys that you just see the get like as if you're coming in to just scout the team for a second, you write down his number off the side because you're like that kid is a six six plus kid with like thirty four plus inch arms. Like he looks the part, and he has filled out since he first came to Notre Dame. And I mean, David, to be honest, they're gonna have to play 
right? Like Riley Mills is not going to play a hundred percent of the snaps at big end. Like somebody's going to have to take the chance. And Aaronsberger has a lot of traits to really like, man. There's developmental upside with him. So I'm not overly surprised that he may have passed Nana in theory on the depth chart, but honestly, it's it's going to be a day-to-day basis. We're still in spring. So these guys are going to be kind of battling back and forth, but I'm excited if Aaronsberger can take a step forward yeah. because I mean, he has the length and the explosiveness where I think that he can play a role if he, if he's consistent. If he if he can be consistent, it's not going to be competitive. The the that between those two, Nana is just really limited athletically, which is surprise. We started to see it his senior year. He got a little tight in the hips the senior year of high school, um, and and he just he he's kind of gotten increasingly more stiff as he's kind of gotten older. And he's he's a strong kid, and he can be a good run defender. It's what he did a good job last year. Running, he's a good edge setter and you know space eater and all that. So there's value to a guy like Nana, but. Alexander brings you a little bit more every down potential. I mean, he's the kind of guy I wouldn't be upset if, if, you know, the inside of a four down third down pass defense is him and Jason Adamiola. Cause you're just getting that length, you know, and then Riley Mills can be part of that too, or whatever, maybe put Jason on the edge and have Riley and Alexander inside. You know I mean? There's a lot of options you can have uh, to do that. And you may have Justin in there. I mean, cause you, you can have different types of bodies to throw at teams depending on what you're trying to accomplish. And, you know, it's like if if I'm, I guess where my head was, I should clarify was if I'm playing a team that's like an air raid that's getting the ball out quickly, is kind of where I'm looking at third down because, you know, that you get those six five six seven guys right up the middle getting their hands up. You know, if the ball comes out quickly, he's a pretty good athlete. I mean, that's the thing is he just is not a football player yet, like to that level. But if the light goes on for Alexander Aaronsberger. Notre Dame might have the biggest big end combination in the country. I mean, Riley Mills is 6'5", 290, and Alexander Ahrensberger is like 6'7". And he's every bit of, what, 255, 260, would you say, Ryan? I mean, those, a massive those are kid, some man. big boys. I mean, Riley with the girth and the length, and then Alexander with the length. Uh, it's just about whether or not the light goes on. And, he, you know, because, again, it's a kid that played high school football in Germany and all that other kind of stuff, but. I'd be a little surprised if he doesn't, if he's not playing more than Nana, that's not a good sign for Alexander it, because physically Ryan, it's not close. It's not, I mean, it just, it, it's not close, but Nana brings a very specific value that you'll like on the D line. He Nana will compete. That's the one thing you can say about Nana. When he gets out there, he's going to play hard and he's going to sure. battle. He's just limited athletically. Mm-hmm. And but there's value for that. I mean, there's always value for that. There's no question about it. Let's get to the next question here. Uh, 99 problems BK1, Dr. Driscoll for my sanity. Dante Moore was just mentioned in the show for erasing the gap. Why can't I get rid of this nervous feeling that Dante isn't sure about Notre Dame? And that's why he is taking official visits. I think that's fair. I mean, look, I want people to be more positive, but I also am, am not a BSer and I'm not gonna lie to you. And this isn't a homer show. I mean, look. The longer this goes on, the, the the more understandable the angst about what's going on with Dante is, and and we have knowledge about certain things that 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 may have made us feel less nervous about it. But Ryan, you and I had this conversation last night. If he's not willing to make a decision, a decision here and, and go public with it, yeah, I mean, you can say all the great things that you want. You can tell recruits whatever it is you want, but if you're not willing to go public with it at but if if he's not if he hasn't done that by the end of April, mm-hmm. and I'm less and less and less optimistic that's going to happen, yeah, it's fair to start saying okay, maybe maybe there is something about Notre Dame that he's just not either he or his dad is just not sold on. I think that's a, 
And that, and that's a bad thing because it's it's not because it was so clear that Notre Dame was his leader, not just from what reporters write, but what has Dante has been saying to people mm-hmm. that if he's not willing to do it, it's going to then start causing doubt in the minds of other recruits too. Because oh, they're sure. like, well, what, why, why Dante's been there so many times? What, what, what's wrong with Notre Dame? And it could, it could be very damaging to this, to this class. Well, you're, you're over under um, scenario, right? Was is based upon like, let's just be honest about it. It, it the it hit them hitting the over on how many commits are going to be in April is dependent on if Dante Moore decides to to go to Notre yeah. Dame. Like that is very dependent yeah. on why that would happen, right? I mean, like we're not going to BS you guys. Um, so I would say this. And I'll continue to say this. Notre Dame is the clear leader for, for Dante Moore, in my opinion, right now. But like Brian said, it's got to happen at some point, right? And the law, and if you're the assumed leader for any player here, this is any mm-hmm. recruit. If you are the assumed leader and you know you want to go there and everything points in that direction and you have the opportunity to commit and you just kind of let it drag on, there's something there. Right? right. And there's something to talk about and there's something to feel a little pessimistic about. Right. It is. I still feel good that Dante Moore will end up in the class for Notre Dame if he de- when he decides to commit. But that is dependent on right. when it happens. Like, let's not right. lie about it. But if we get to May 1st and he's talking about he's already set up official visits. Yeah, I'm not going to feel great. Yeah, I'm not going to feel great. So it's because, it, like I said, people say, who's the number two? There isn't one. There isn't a number two. The concern, uh-huh. however, is that if he drags the process on, then that's when a number two emerges and yep. becomes the new shiny toy. Because, like at this point, what else can Notre Dame say to him? Like, what what else can we show you? I mean, what else can we? Sh- I mean, there's nothing else that they can say or do to him, and that that's going to sell the program anymore. So, you know, maybe it's just there's a whole lot of what could be's, and some of them are okay, and some of them are a little bit not good. But we just don't know. We don't know the answer. We don't know why he's waiting to make the de- a decision and that's going to be the interesting thing. Thomas Lammer says, do you think Reese not being hands-on has more to do with Kelly handcuffs or Freeman wanting teachers at all position coaches? No, I, I, I don't necessarily agree with Vince that what we saw, what I saw in the film today was significantly more than what we've seen in the past. I do think there's times in the past where Tommy, took less of a hands-on approach partly because they had a GA that was a quarterback's coach and you let him do some of those things. Like you let him have the pad that gets banged on. Cause that, I mean, that that's a, that's the difference a D three receivers coach like me and a D one. One of the differences I have to be out there being the one working on press release and I don't have pads on my arm. Right. So I got, I got permanently bruised arms because of it. D one, you get your assistants or your managers, and those other people out there. But I think that's part of it. I think the other part is Tommy just really wanted to be engaged and involved and now he can do what the way he wants to do it as opposed to the previous coach. I don't think it's necessarily about Freeman wanting co- teachers at all positions. I think it's more about this is what Tommy's always wanted to do. And I do think he's more engaged. I don't, I just, I never viewed Tommy Reese as pa- as, as, as passive as Vince has. And, you know, so that's, that's a little bit of a different thing, but, but yes, it is. It was noticeable that it was more. I just, I didn't think the starting point was as bad, but I think that's more about just what Tommy wants and not having the Brian Kelly handcuffs on. Uh, for yeah. that one, that's just my two cents on that. M. Kostrom says, hey, Brian and Ryan. I'm changing Ryan to Vince. Is there a way for the quarterbacks? Oh, we actually already answered that one. Here we, we go did. from John A1. He says, I'm expecting the run game from 2020 with a 2014 pass game, first eight games from the offense this season. So that's the 2020 run game 
with the Everett Golson pre-Arizona State pass game, right? I don't think mm-hmm. that's going to be the case. Because they, they threw the ball a lot and really well early in 2020. I mean, there was the one game in Syracuse where Everett completed like like 28 straight passes at one point in time. That was a, oh, a bit absurd. Yeah. And they didn't really run it a ton. I, you know, I'm going to have to think about this one, John, because I'm uh, so like Everett passed for 295 against Rice. He went 23 of 34 for 226 against Michigan. 362 against Syracuse, 300 against North Carolina, 315 against Florida State with 52 attempts. Yeah, he threw 40 attempts against Purdue, 39 against uh, Syracuse, 43 against Stanford, 38 against Carolina, 52 against Navy, I mean against Florida State. I uh you know what I think? I think the 2014 game that to me is going to is going to show what this pass offense is going to be like, Ryan. It, it to me it's the Rice and the Navy games. And and against Rice, Everett went 14 of 22 for 295 yards. And against Navy, he went 18 of 25 for 315 yards. I think we're going to see more of that. I think we're going to see more of the big plays in the passing game on maybe fewer completions. I see more of like 18 of 25, 17 of 26 for 250 plus is kind of more how I see it. Uh, as opposed to just 362, 300, 313, 315, 446 from Everett that year. Uh, what was I just? Uh, what was Everett's completion percentage that year? If you don't mind me asking. 60. 60 okay, so solid yeah. number. Yeah, I, and, and, and it went down later in the year. I mean, he yeah. he was 38.9 on 18 attempts against USC, and he was 54. So like in his last five games, he was 53.7 against Arizona state, 52 and a half against Northwestern, 66.7 against Louisville, 38.9 against USC and 54.5 against LSU. He was much better early. He was 64 against rice, 68 against Michigan, 63 against Purdue, 82 against Syracuse. And then it was 46.5 against Stanford in the rain. If you remember that game and then 55, 60, 72. So he was well over 60% through the stretch that John was talking about. He was, I would imagine, closer to probably 63, 64. And then obviously was well under that in the last five games. 80-something percent in a football game is just ridiculous. Well, he completed like 20-some straight passes in that game. It was absurd. <laughs> that is, that uh, is absurd, man. And a I, lot I of ima- Go ahead. I, ma- I imagine Tyler Buckner is going to – I think he's going to uh, complete a decent amount of – like a decent percentage of passes. Yeah. I imagine it's going to be a lower volume, higher percentage. Because I think that the run game is going to be an emphasis. Yeah. I, I really do think – I think it's going to be at a, a higher emphasis and a higher efficiency rate this year, I would imagine. So I think everything's going to work a little bit off of that because that's where the RPO game comes into effect, the play-action game. Like I think that's where Tyler Buckner is going to be his best is just off of that run action yeah. early on. I think two fit. I think 2015 is going to be a, a closer example of what the run game is going to look like, and and the reason I say that is is because Ian Book did not run the football as a runner. This is what people have to understand. Ian Book ran for a bunch of yards in his Notre Dame career. Very few of them came on runs. They were all scrambles. He was a very good scrambler. He wasn't a runner. Like and, and not that he couldn't necessarily. They just didn't have him do it. So I want people to understand that's not a shot on Ian. It's just was the nature of the offense. It was more he was getting his yards from scrambles. 2015 to in 2017, I don't think, you know, may it's it's hard for me to expect this offensive line to play like that one. 
and and the run game to be like it was. I mean, that was two hundred almost two hundred seventy yards that year. I think when I look at twenty fifteen, because the other thing about twenty twenty is they ran for two hundred eleven yards, but they were only five yards of carry. They were not a big play run, running game. They were a grinded out team, and I don't think this is going to be a grinded out running game. I think it's going to be a lot more like twenty fifteen was Ryan, where it was a it was a big play rushing attack. Now I think this offensive line is going to be a little bit more. You know, this offensive line is going to be, to me, is is going to be a little different because the running back style is different. You know, because you had you had CJ Pro. Once Torian Folson went down, your efficient runner was gone. I think this offense will be more efficient than that line was, or than that team was because of the backs, not because of the line. That was a heck of a line. But I think that you know the five point six yards per carry. I think that's more of what I expect to see than when what we saw in twenty twenty. Thoughts on that? Yeah, um, I mean, I wanted to. I was trying to go back and look a little bit at some of the numbers, but I, I would say, like, I, I think that this offense this year is going to be just an efficient offense. I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I'm I'm curious to see because I expect Chris Tyree to be a guy that can create some explosive plays. I expect Braden Lindsay to create some explosive plays. I'm curious to see it tangibly, like how much of a volume of those big plays mm-hmm. are. But I imagine a yards per carry is going to be very solid. I imagine, like I said before, a completion percentage is going to be very solid. I don't anticipate a high volume of passes like i would say 20 to 25 passes in that kind of barometer somewhere in that ballpark is the number that i'm looking at off of off of the play action off the rpo game so um as far as a direct comparison to a year i don't really have a great answer for you john but i will say i just think efficiency when i think of this team i think that this unit won't be quite as explosive running the ball as the 2015 team was because the 2015 offense was just i mean it was like it multiple 90 yard touchdowns i mean cj had one i do think it'll be a lot more efficient than that line was than that group that team was i i do the the the, like the running backs like logan diggs is going to have a mess of 20 yard runs like audrick have a mess of 20 yard runs but they're not going to have the the number 50 plus that we saw and because the thing about the 2017 line ryan is you had the quarterback and you had like three running backs that could do that this year, I think there's really, you know, unless Jadarian Price plays a bunch, there's really only one running back and the quarterback that'll do that. But I don't think Tyler's going to run it as much as Brandon did. That's the other thing. I don't I don't think the volume as, as the quarterback runs is going to be what it was because they had to run Brandon because he couldn't throw at times that year. They had to run him. Otherwise, he let, lost value. I don't. There's going to be games where Tyler doesn't run a lot, at least not on design runs. It'll be scrambles because he, he, he kid can throw the ball. That's that's a, and that's why I like that John said 2014 pass game, not 2017 pass game, because because he can throw the football. I, I I feel like I do feel a little bit more optimistic about the explosiveness. I think Michael Mayer obviously can make some big plays, but I think Lorenzo Styles is going to be a big play weapon because we've seen him do it already. I mean, we've seen him run a reverse. I mean, he had a 50 yard gain on a reverse last year. It ended up only being credited as like a 36 yard run or something because a, a whole way down the field brought it back a little bit. You know, he had a couple big plays like that. You know, I think he's a guy that can make one guy miss, and he can stretch the field vertically. You know, we've seen Avery Davis at times be able to make big plays. He had the big play against Clemson. He had the 60-yard touchdown against Purdue last year. But he's not going to be like a high-volume big play guy. But with Lorenzo, with Braden, with Chris Tyree, and with Tyler as a runner, I think you've got a lot of big play guys. And that's why I, I think the yards per play this year is going to – if the offense is as efficient – as we think, as you think it'll be, Ryan, and I agree with you, I think they're gonna. I think they're. This offense has a chance to match the twenty, the twenty fifteen 
team, which set the program record for yards per play. Because I don't think that was a super efficient team. They were super explosive with Will Fuller and CJ Procise and Josh Adams. It was insane, insane. And you had Deshaun Kaiser ripping off a 70-yard run on a, on a read zone against Temple. You know what I mean? Like, it was a big play offense. It was not an efficient offense because you had a redshirt freshman quarterback that that wasn't prepared to be the starter and to take over from Malik, and you had your starting running back who would have been your efficient guy go down in the opener, and you had a converted receiver playing the rest of the year. He got hurt, and you put a true freshman in there. It just it was a home run offense. I don't think this team will be the home quite the home run that that was, but I think they're going to be way more efficient. So I do think this team has a chance to get com- to competitively go after that mark. In my opinion, I don't I don't know if you completely agree with that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think there's the possibility to the points that you're making. It's just it's it, again, it's just one of those things where you just need to see it happen first. Yeah. You know what I mean, oh, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, you had you were over over. You had minimum seven point two yards per play in each of the first four games that year. You were seven against Texas, seven, two against Virginia, seven, four against Georgia Tech, eight, six against UMass. They were even 6-5 against Clemson. But see, the Clemson game to me was the epitome of, of why that offense couldn't score in big games. Mm-hmm. Because they they averaged 6.5 yards per play. No one that thinks right now about that game would have thought that they had 6.5 yards per play. But Is they had the, that, That's the one where ProSize broke the long run to get him back in it, right? No, it was a one? wheel no. route. It was a wheel route. A wheel route. Yes, yes. yes I remember yes. now. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, the yeah, ProSize, but it was a wheel route. And then you had two long crossing routes, one long crossing route to Will, Chris Brown, and then you had the one from Will Fuller. They just hit a few big plays. But overall, they were not efficient at all in that game. But that's just that, that like I said, that that game, like even Temple, they averaged seven yards per play against Temple. That was a super inefficient game. But they, hit a, they had the 70-yard the run by Kaiser. You had the long pass play on the last drive to, to Alizé Mack. And then you had like, what was it, 20-some yard touchdown pass to Will Fuller. They just hit a couple big plays. And that's why that offense was so up and down. I mean, one week they look like world beaters, and the next week they can't move the ball on anybody. I think this team will be more, a lot more efficient than that. I just think the nature of the offense will be more efficient. And I think that Tyler Buckner is, is to me, is, is, is a better th- – it's going to come down to that, though. If Tyler Buckner is the passer that you and I think he can be, then that's going to be the key, in my opinion. Thomas Lammers also says Jabron Payne just said he is committing April 15th per Twitter. Does Notre Dame have a shot? And then uh, Coleman Smith is how does Jabron Payne compliment Janarian Price if they use on the same field at the same time? Coleman, I don't want to ignore your question. We will address that um, if the time comes on Friday in our show. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as does Notre Dame have a shot? Yes, Thomas. I would encourage you to to we're going to have an update on the message board here on him in a little bit, but yeah, they definitely have a shot. I mean, they have a great shot on that one. We'll have to find out, you know, what his ultimate decision is, but yes, they have a shot. Uh, Ty B will try to roll through some of these. Cause we, we do have to get rolling. I just realized we're two and a half hours in uh, <laughs> you guys are awesome. So many questions and just hanging around. I love it. I look at the numbers, the numbers aren't dipping. So, uh, but we got to get out of here. Ryan, does Notre Dame have a shot with Jaden Greathouse? I mean, yeah, Ty, they have a shot. I, I think that it's it, it has been trending in the right direction since Coach Stuckey came on the staff because he's a, he's a player that hasn't been offered by Notre Dame that long, really, when you think about it. He was just a January, early January offer uh, for Notre Dame. So they are definitely – they were definitely behind in the recruiting the uh, recruitment for Jaden Greathouse, but I think it's trending in the right direction. Ultimately, I think I think it's going to be a tough pool, but I don't think it's an impossible pool. So I think there is a shot – 
definitely with the timing of everything, they aren't in the best position that they possibly can be, but they, they're certainly in the conversation, I think, especially since he's going to be on campus a couple times here in the next couple months. Mm-hmm. John A. One says, the only team that has a better defensive front than Notre Dame on the schedule is Clemson. I'd have to think through the schedule, but I, I my immediate reaction is to say I agree with that. I want to pull it up real quick, but I think yeah. I agree as well. Like I always wonder about BYU because I always have like some twenty-eight-year-old nose tackle, you know, uh, kind of guy, and they always got some like a, like a edge, Yeah, you always get some edge player that that there's always a Kafusi there. They always get these edge players like Ansa that you've never heard of until they become like these all-America type of players. Uh, but yeah, I, I can't think of anybody on the schedule. Stanford doesn't. Ohio State doesn't. USC doesn't. BYU doesn't. BC doesn't. Stanford doesn't. Uh, UNLV, Cal, Marshall, U North Carolina. You know, it just yeah, honestly, I don't, I can't honestly outs, outside of Clemson with Brian Brissy and Miles Murphy, it's nobody's even close. To and uh, Davis is back. That's how Tyler Davis is back. He's a beast. Yeah, he's been he's been banged up, but yep, he is. Yeah, he had a, he looked he looked good in the in the spring game for them. He looked healthy, I should say, in the spring game for them. But yeah, that's a really good, really good defensive line. So yes, no question. And Xavier Thomas is healthy. That's Finally. the other one. Yeah. yeah. So you know, hopefully he can stay healthy. Because I'll I, say, I'll tell you what, man, the Murphy kid is impressive, but that Brissett kid was when made he's on healthy. Planet, man. Oh man, I I watched a little bit of him the other day, and I'm like, that dude, that dude is like Endomican Sue reincarnated, yeah. man. He's just like, got to he stay is. healthy, man. That's been yeah. the issue for him so far, and just another reason why young kids should not be going straight to the NFL. Like, I've heard oh, so, some NFL. No, every single kid I've ever seen needs time in college in the NFL. It's a different animal, in my opinion. I'll give this to you, Ryan. John A. One asks, how would you compare Josh Burnham and Samuel and Pemba? Little difference. I mean, obviously, Josh Burnham, I think, as a space player, is going to be a little more consistent as far as understanding spacing, working into space, working into coverage. And Pemba's a little more of an explosive, true pass rusher type. So, like, he, I think, could be a higher volume sack guy if he ends up as a viper but i think burnham is probably a more versatile player but i think the upside for Mpemba is just a little higher just because i think he's a little more of an explosive athlete body type wise they're pretty similar the most six four guys with long arms like brian said i think Mpemba is probably even a little heavier than burnham is right this second so i think there's a little more projection as far as like how each of them can weigh down the line so i think there is some similarities i would just call joshua burnham more of your traditional like He's your true like Sam in a 3-4 alignment, right? Where he's right. going to work in space a ton. He's going to be an overhang defender, working in coverage, doing all those types of things. While Samuel and Pemba is like a true, he he's a guy that you want working off the line of scrimmage. He's like that weak side pass rusher type. So they're just a little bit different in my opinion, even though Samuel and Pemba is a guy that Notre Dame likes as a rover. So he's going to be used mm-hmm. a lot in space a ton. But I just think that he's a little more of an explosive downhill type of player while Burnham's a little more of a rangy athlete type that's going to be better as a versatile piece. I think Burnham's a more natural football player too. I, I, I think I think Samuel might be more explosive. I think Burnham's got better lateral quickness and agility. Right now, Pemba's all about projection at this point in time. I mean, we haven't really seen him play a lot of football since, what, his sophomore year when he was playing in St. Louis. So uh, Josh is a more, a more versatile, like is every bit as versatile, but more rangy. I think I think Josh is better working laterally and backwards, like in coverage, where Samuel's a guy you're going to want working downhill. And I think Samuel's a lot bigger than Josh was at the same age, too. Like, Josh has really started to fill out over the last year. Uh, Samuel's just big. He's he's always been big. 
Um, we've got a super chat here from Charlie Moore. I pay for my information and knowledge. I appreciate that very, very much, Charlie. He also says compare, contrast, book first Tyler Buckner at this respective points in their careers. Uh, that's an easy one. Uh, Ian Book was not ready to be a starting quarterback, and Tyler Buckner is. Uh, <laughs> Tyler's a more dynamic athlete. I think he uh, – Ian, Ian probably had a slightly be- – Ian threw a better deep ball. Ian Book threw a nice deep ball. He just didn't have the guts to throw it very often. But when he did, he threw a nice deep ball. wasn't super accurate with it early in his career, but he could throw it nice. Uh, Tyler's got – he's bigger like bigger filled out. He's more dynamic athletically. He shows significantly greater. And Tyler Buckner shows more anticipation now than Ian book showed as a senior, just as far as reading defenses. Ian just was a gamer, man. That's the thing you say about Ian for all the flaws he had, the kid competed. And if Tyler can compete like that, he's going to be a way better quarterback. Cause he's just significant. I mean, Charlie, honestly, there's no comparison other than maybe height. And Tyler seems to be a tad taller. I, I see no comparisons between him and Ian Book. I just I just don't. They're just not in the same universe, especially when you look at it from the same age. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I, thoughts on that, Ryan? Yeah, I think you hit most of the things, right? From a physical perspective, Tyler is a little bit taller, and he's just a more physically well-put-together player. Dynamic athletes. I mean, Ian was a nice scrambler. He was a nice kind of improviser as a passer, but he wasn't a guy that you ran a ton of, even though you probably should have more at that time, but like he wasn't a big zone read guy, wasn't a big power read guy. Mm-hmm. I think that Tyler just gives you a little more upside as, as a pure runner. And I think that there is, I mean, especially at that point in their career, like they're just, I, I would say that Tyler's just a little more along as, as a developed yeah, type of football player, right? Yeah. Like, and again, I, I think that Tyler sees the game a little bit quicker, but I agree with you. I think that Ian, I mean, Ian had a good arm, right? Like it was a, it was plus arm strength and he could throw a nice deep ball. It was never the physical limitations. with Ian And it gets talked about a lot. Oh, he doesn't have the arm. I've never questioned Ian. I've said this before. I watched Ian book and warmups and I watched Jake from and warmups in, in person live. And I'm like, I mean, close who has a better arm. It's like, just the ball comes out of his hand so much better than it did get. It was it was never physical with Ian Book. It was always this right here. Uh, I'm trying to see if we can get to just a couple more here. Is uh, I want to get down to here. Uh, Cowboy, uh, Katie Boy, excuse me, eight six three V. Based on your limited view of the offense this spring, do you see Notre Dame being ranked the top twenty five in total offense this year? They better. They better absolutely. They were forty about forty third in yards per play last year, forty fifth in yards per game. They absolutely better be in the top twenty this year, in my opinion, yards per play and yards per uh, game. Ryan, especially yards I mean, per play. Again, I care more about yards per play than I do total yards because that's so dependent on so many other factors than than yards per game. It's a big letdown if they're not. I mean, that's yeah. just the point blank period, especially because yeah. every report that we've kind of gotten, and again, it's just limited viewing from our own perspective, but offense has been just a little more impressive than the defense this spring for the most yep. part. So that is a bad indicator if they're not that improved and the defense yeah. is not playing that well. So, I mean, yeah. it better be. <laughs> you yeah. better hope. No doubt. Last three, and we're going to get out of here. Garen Nutson says, what's the minimum we must score against Ohio State to win? 35-40. I think they need a minimum get to 30. I, I, I think mm-hmm. that – because, again, you look at the two games Ohio State lost last year. They scored 28 and 27, right? Like, I don't think you need to score – you don't need to score 40. You may have to score 40. It just depends right. on how well your defense plays. But if the defense plays well in that game, you know, I think a 31-27 to 27 game, 34-31, to 31, something like that. I don't think Notre Dame has the horses in the secondary and all around to hold them to the low number they did and like Clemson did in 2019. 
I think that was a you know it's also that Ohio State offense wasn't as explosive as this one is either, in my opinion. So uh, I thirty one minimum thirty to thirty one is the minimum. Ryan, you agree or disagree? Right, that's how I know you're so smart. You always agree with me, man. You know yeah, what? Thir- thir- there's, a, there's a reason I hired you, man. You know, <laughs> 30, 31 was the number that popped in my yeah. head immediately. I was like 31 to 34, like somewhere in that yeah. ballpark. Because, like you said, yes, Ohio State is a very explosive offense. They're going to score their points, but you expect Notre Dame to be a very formidable defense that's right. going to be able to, you know, keep some guys in check. You're not going to completely eliminate Jackson Smith and Jake. Hold them to field guys, goals but... instead of touchdowns. I mean, they're going to exactly. score. Hold them to field goals instead of touchdowns. You know, limit the limit the big plays. You know, come up with some own big plays of your own. Uh, Davis Solomon says, I think Tobias Merriweather is going to be our second best receiver by season's end. He's 185, but I hope he's 195 when he gets in Notre Dame. I'm not going to predict that, David, because I need to see him show up. But would I be shocked if Tobias Merriweather passes people over next year? No. I've said this before. He's the best receiver. In my, he's the highest graded receiver for me on my board to sign with Notre Dame since Michael Floyd in 2008. That's how high I am on Tobias Merriweather just he just is right and um so no i wouldn't be surprised if he ends up being that guy i just i'm not going to predict until i see him show up and look a little thicker than he was at the, when he ended the season and then last one i think this is from ladarius we got to get ladarius in here since he's back most hated dynasty brian and ryan miami or alabama that's an easy one for me i, I, I just hate, ha- just out of those two just yeah, out of those two yeah you or you can give one of those two or and then give another one because there's an there's there's another one I think that maybe in our lifetime that I think you might go to but um well go ahead I mean, and so out, of, out of those two I would say Miami I, mm-hmm. I I just like I hated the turnover chain thing I heard it I hated the Catholics versus convicts thing that they tried to make a relevant thing because Miami was good all of a sudden in, in mm-hmm. quote unquote for a year like they they annoy me a little bit i have respect for alabama and what they've done so i don't have any problem with alabama honestly so miami would be the easy one in that conversation my number one all time is it's michigan it just it mm-hmm. is it's always gonna be michigan but were they a dynasty like, though were they ever oh are we dynasty? talking about just dynasty okay i was just yeah. thinking about most hated team yeah. um i go usc dynasty. 2000s i just i couldn't stand that because it's usc uh, would be the the Notre Dame rivalry that was a dynasty that I didn't like. Honestly, mm-hmm. it's that one's easy for me. I despise Miami because I didn't like how they conducted themselves. Sure, uh, and 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 you know, obviously they beat Notre Dame in '89, which I didn't like. But I don't hate Alabama. I know a lot of fans do. I don't because Bama's not a team that talks a lot of trash. They don't run their mouths. Uh, they play hard. They play well. They're well coached. I despise some of the coaches they've had. I don't like Lane Kiffin much. I despise Bill O'Brien, but I I I don't hate Alabama. I don't, especially since their first title was a a relatively mediocre, talented team compared to the later teams they had. I mean, they won a freaking title with uh, what's it, Greg McElroy? Greg McElroy, you know, yeah. Javier Arenas, and Kareem Jackson were not highly ranked recruits. They had Eric. Remember Eric Anders? As yeah. their, well, he started he started an outside linebacker for him, you know, and so that 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 team they. The, I, I just don't hate Bama. I respect Bama. I want to beat Bama. Uh, I don't like certain things about, but those were true when they weren't good, you know, about some of the academic things. But I don't, I don't just, I don't hate, I despise Georgia more than I hate Georgia. I can't stand Kirby Smart. I, I hated watching them win. I don't dislike Alabama. I, to me, I look at Alabama and say, hey, you want to be a championship program? Why don't you take some of the lessons that you can learn from there? you know, that are about the process and toughness and discipline. 
And that's the thing I think has been most overlooked about Bama. Bama has been able to be consistent because they've recruited great players, but they develop players an exceptional level and it's been consistent. And, you know, that's why, again, and I'm not saying that because Ladarius knows I've taken some shots at Bama with him here. I just, I don't hate Bama. You know, I I, I despised Miami. I Mm -hmm. despised Miami. I didn't like the, I I enjoyed watching USC play, but I also didn't like them because I just, I I hated Pete's lack of discipline. I despised it. I just, I just didn't like it. Alabama's like, um, they're like Tom Brady to me, you know? It's like you, you just kind of want them to go away, but I don't, I respect the heck out of what Tom Brady yeah. did during his career. You know, I respect right. Alabama's dynasty. So dislike them, but respect them. Dislike them? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Dislike them, want them to go away, but you don't hate them. Right. You want to beat them. That's the thing exactly. is you want to beat them. Uh, Charlie, Charlie Moore to heck with USC hatred. Thank you for that, Charlie. Last question, Ryan, before you go. I'm going to let you start off because if you got to run, I can answer while you run. Because Ryan has has to go. He's got a one-year-old he's got to deal with. Uh, hi, guys. Anthony Shea, thank you for the Super Chat, Anthony. Can you give a quickie on how you became Notre Dame fans, please? My father and grandfather both went to Notre Dame. My dad's roommate was Daryl LaMonica. That's pretty cool. That is really pretty cool. cool. My, mine's pretty simple, Anthony. I had a choice. I've said this a couple times on this show. My mom was a, was a St. Louis Rams fan at the time. My dad was a Miami Dolphins fan in the NFL side of things. I had a choice on what team I, I ended up rooting for. I ended up taking the Rams because they were the greatest show on turf when I was you know really getting into football. But Notre Dame is the only team that my, – my mom doesn't like college football. My dad is the biggest Notre Dame fan I've ever met. So I, I, I had no choice whether I – I can't remember a time where I was not a Notre Dame fan. So I honestly mm-hmm. just didn't have a choice in the fact – you know, I, I grew up, I remember some of my first memories was the end of the Bob Davey era going into Tyrell oh. Willingham. So it's not like I grew up in a great time to be a no poor guy. Fan, but... My first memories were Lou Holtz winning a championship in 88. Yours were Bob Davey, you poor kid. <laughs> Youth right. isn't always better, man. Uh, my, You know, it's funny. My parents were big Redskins fans. I grew up as a Broncos fan because I love John Elway. Uh, NFL, I mean, college football, my dad was a Notre Dame fan. And I've said this before. My dad became a fan because he – Growing up in Virginia, there was no college football to speak of. The ACC didn't have good football. And my dad would watch the Lindsey Nelson replays on Sundays. And that's how he became a fan. That's the reason he became a Yankee fan because, you know, Yankees were the, the major league team. And then when he moved to Ohio, he became a Reds fan because of the big red machine. But, you know, so I followed my dad on, on, on baseball, same team, both Reds fans, both Celtics fans. Football, I was different. I took a different NFL team, but then college football is the same. It's like the same as my dad. You know, he was a Notre Dame fan. I became a much bigger Notre Dame fan than he did because he was always for more NFL than college, where I was always kind of balanced with both. But that's how I became a fan. And of course, the first time you step, the first game I ever watched Notre Dame was with my dad, which I still say is a pretty cool moment. And it makes me almost be okay with the fact that they got absolutely stomped by USC. It was in 2007. Um, but the second Notre Dame I ever went to, I went with my current wife, who was my girlfriend at the time. And I've shared the story. That is when I knew I was going to marry her. Ryan, I don't think I've ever told you this, but I've said it on the show before. Jimmy Clausen had just thrown a touchdown pass. There was like five minutes left in the game. It was cold. It was like rainy. It was like 30-some degrees and raining. I was miserable. The team had sucked that year. It was like we're excited about being Duke. And I looked at her and I'm thinking, she's probably miserable. If I'm miserable, I know she's miserable. She doesn't like college football. And I looked at her with like five minutes left to go a game. I said, hey, are you ready? You know, I'm, I'm, I knew they were going to win now. I said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm good to go if you want to go now. And she looks at me and she looks at, and she goes, she goes, there's still five minutes left in the game. Are you nuts? And I was like, oh, my God, I'm, married. I'm so marrying this woman. And, of course, by the next fall, we were married. So, Or by the next April, that April, we were married. So, uh, yeah, so – all, just like you, Ryan, just 
Notre Dame fan was in, it was either that or root for Ohio State, which everyone else in my family was Ohio State fans growing up in Northwest Ohio. So uh, that wasn't going to happen. So it was uh, all Notre Dame for me. So very, very similar. Our dads, you can thank our dads, everybody. You can thank our dads. You meet Mr. Roberts, who I've met, very nice man. Uh, and you meet my dad, uh, you can thank them for why we are sitting here doing and, what we do. And if anybody comes to the Blue and Gold game, if you come to the tailgater meetup, you'll also miss, miss, meet Mr. Roberts, who will be in attendance as well. And there Mrs. Roberts and I'm still Juliet bummed you guys and... aren't bringing the, uh, the RV, man. I'm still a little bummed about that. So I know. Uh, gas prices are a little high right now, my friend. I understand. Well, especially where you live and where you got to drive through, you know. With all due respect, there's a lot of blue states with higher gas prices that you got to drive through to get over here, man. So that's fair. That's fair. I'm teasing. Just teasing. Uh, So I like the joke on Ryan about where he's from. Anyway, everybody, have a great day. Ladarius, great to see you back in the show, man. You just know we've been praying for you and your mom and your family. Uh, We're glad to see you back. Thanks, everybody else, for being on the show today. A lot of fun. Get to the message board. We're going to have some – I'm going to have a – a big picture thoughts on where recruiting stands right now that I'm going to put on the message board. That's going to be for message board customers only. So you're definitely going to check that out. Uh, check out our front page content. Ryan's going to have some more recruiting stories up. We got some things that I got to put a Charles Jagasaw. Sean interviewed Charles Jagasaw from uh, his visit. So we're going to talk about him uh, and kind of how things went for him. So definitely make sure that you read all those. But again, sometime tonight, I'm going to put my just big picture thoughts, some scoop that we're hearing, some different things, just a really big, Recruiting feature, part opinion, part what we're hearing, all that kind of stuff. You don't want to miss out on that. So, Ryan, thank you for joining us. Vince, uh, obviously kicking things off and getting things rocking and rolling. Uh, hit the like button, right? Let's take this one down, as as Mace K always says. Join the message board. Headbutt the like button. Subscribe to the channel. Drop the elbow on the notification bell and share the podcast. Woo! Go Irish. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. Talk to you again very, very soon. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger 
for the ones who get it done.